DC is preparing for the U.S. Freedom Convoy and is being reported by Fox that the National Guard will be deployed. So we can expect things to get, well, maybe not so much out of hand, but a bit more serious here in the U.S., though I think things will be particularly different. Up in Canada, the police there uh, were absolutely brutal, mocking, injuring protesters and leaked messages, gloating about trampling a woman with horses. And here's where it gets scary. As Justin Trudeau is using very serious and extreme emergency powers, having his powers extended by Canadian Parliament, freezing bank accounts of single mothers for, for donating 50 bucks. A new poll has come out. Trafalgar Group found that 65% of likely Democrat voters support what Justin Trudeau has done. Now, I understand it's a different country, but that says a lot about where Democrat voters in this country are. Now, interestingly, in this poll, in unaffiliated voters overwhelmingly disapprove, 74%. Republican voters, I, re- I believe it's 87, overwhelmingly disapprove. What is going on in this country that Democrat voters are holding these extreme authoritarian views and uh, and supporting this kind of insanity. So I can only, I can only imagine what would happen with the Democrat administration as uh, these freedom truckers, this convoy makes their way to the U.S. So we'll get into all of that. We have some news as to why that may be. Apparently, according to another poll from Gallup, Democrats don't watch the news right now. They've just totally tuned out more so than most other groups. So that should, that, that could explain a lot of it. Cal Rittenhouse is filing or says he's going to be uh, launching a project to file defamation suits against people who smeared him like Jen Uger of the Young Turks and Whoopi Goldberg. And then, of course, there's um, actually very serious and, and important news that Biden is sanctioning Ukraine specific. Uh, Biden is sanctioning Russian officials, not over Ukraine. And it looks like the Nord Stream 2 pipeline may be getting shuttered because of all of what's happening. Look, a lot of people don't think there could be an expansion of conflict over some regional conflict in Europe. But you got to understand that if the conflict does escalate, and it has, Putin's putting peacekeepers, military, into eastern Ukraine, it's just dominoes falling. Now, Biden announces sanctions. Then Russia says, well, we're going to do this, that, or otherwise. Then one by one, dominoes fall over until something seriously bad happens. So let's get into all of this. Once again, talking about just the, the insane state of affairs in this world. And joining us today is the CEO, COO of Fortitude Ranch, Steve Renee. Hey, Tim. Good to be back. Thanks um, for coming. Do you want to introduce yourself a little sure, bit? Sure. I'm the COO of Fortitude Ranch. We are a survival and recreational community. We have six locations across the U.S., and we're looking to uh, continue to expand. I'm also the COO of Survival Housing, which is a new startup for us, and we're looking to get into consulting for those who wouldn't necessarily want to join Fortitude Ranch but need some help in setting up a homestead, a, a preparation, a bug-out site. We also have uh, partners that we're partnering up with for uh, housing solutions in such occasion. So you've also got military experience. I do. You, you, you actually, I think you, you were saying you lived in Ukraine as well? Uh, I lived in Belarus. 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 Yes. Visited Ukraine many times. So do you think you'll be able to give us some insights into what's going on right Absolutely. now? Absolutely. That's going to be fantastic. Thanks. So uh, thanks for coming. We got Chris Carr hanging out as well. Hey, the uh, one and only uh, executive editor at TimCast.com. Thanks for having me, guys. Right. This is going to be a great conversation. I really look forward to uh, hearing your insights. Thanks. Yeah, war is no joke. Uh, World War One began for much less than what we're looking at right now. It's just a bunch of defensive packs triggering, and mm-hmm. no one really knew what the hell was going on, and all of a sudden everyone's fighting each other. Be ever vigilant if you want to prevent this stuff. 
And I am also here in the corner. Um, Steve and his convoy brought me a Sour Patch Kids little bobblehead pop thing. It's amazing. I love it and I appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to Steve because he brings such great depth of wisdom and he has a lot of experience in the world. So we'll have a great conversation tonight for sure. They also gave Ian a 20 second. Oh my gosh, I gotta show you this. So cool, yeah. Ari Ari brought this for me. Thanks, dude. So cool. This is a 20 sided die. It's about as psychedelic as, uh, as I am. 20s only tonight. (laughs) Look at this beautiful thing. All right, Ian, roll those 20s tonight. Yes, do it. Before we get started, I rolled a three. Start, start. Uh Head over to TimCast.com, become a member if you would like to support our work. Our journalists, our, our staff, our field reporters are all funded thanks to you as members. And as a member, you get access to exclusive members-only shows like The Green Room, where you can see our guests hanging out in the basement, chilling, talking about whatever nonsense, but also episodes of the TimCast IRL podcast that are exclusive for you Monday through Thursday at around 11 or so p.m. they go live. We record them after the show, so that'll be up tonight. You don't want to miss it. But don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends. Let's get started domestically, because I thought this was a pretty, this is, this is pretty big news. Fox News reports DC prepares for possible U.S. Freedom Convoy. Officials request National Guard troops. Tow trucks spotted near Washington, D.C.'s National Mall. Now I find, I found this interesting. Because when I was reading all of this news, all of these news outlets are saying request for National Guard, request for National Guard. And then Fox News seems to bury the lead outright saying National Guard troops will reportedly deploy beginning Tuesday and remain in place until the end of March. The New York Times, I'm sorry, Fox News is saying they have a source telling them this, that the truckers are requesting a permit for 1,000 to 3,000 people to gather in the Capitol and the National Guard will reportedly be deploying Tuesday and remain in place until the end of March. So I don't know exactly what we're going to see right now. Tow trucks are apparently on scene in D.C. already, and they're saying they've been contracted by the city for like 10 days or so. And I believe the the U.S. Freedom Convoys, they're set to leave in a couple days from Barstow, California. It's Barstow, right? Is that where they're We're getting from? a lot of conflicting reports. I was talking oh, with okay. our uh, field reporter about that today, and like we're comparing notes, and it's really hard to figure out exactly what's going on right now. But they're expecting to be in D.C., what, March 1st? Yes. State of the Union address? For the State of the Union. Yeah, that's the plan. That's a bold time to come in. So they're already putting up security perimeter fencing. I think it's going to look very, very different to what we saw in in, uh, in Canada. But I suppose, you know, um, the truckers are going to be prepared for that. And I'm wondering, I saw, I'm wondering how things are going to go. I mean, the mandates out here in the, in, in the States, I mean, they're going away. It's not the same as it is in Canada. In Canada, it's absolutely brutal. They're beating people. They're laughing about it trampled some old old woman, you know, on, on a mobility scooter, and then the cops were posting messages laughing about it. Messages got leaked. What do you guys think is going to happen? You think the U.S. is going to get rowdy? Yeah, well, I, I think they're smart to get the permit, first of all, right? So you don't have a repeat. You don't put yourself in the same situation, what happened in Canada. And then, uh, but how, that that doesn't mean that everybody involved in the convoy are going to act the same way. Yep. So along the way, I wouldn't be surprised if they stopped somewhere and clogged something ahead of getting to the permit site, right? If you're looking to make a statement. And so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that Or like out. an FBI agent gets steps up on the back of the truck and throws a brick and is like, hey, the truckers are throwing bricks. I do not. This is just red flags, uh, red light flashing warning. Be careful. Do not. They're ready for you. Right. The fascist organization that is controlling the United States and Canada and all of the Western democracies, this liberal economic order is ready for you. They're planning for this. They're already got the National Guard prepared. They're going to call people domestic terrorists. They're going to put people in solitary. Be prepared. 
Ian, you just cranked it all the way up to 11, yeah. man. Like a slow. <laughs> first, you know, the, the, the international cabal that's controlling the Western. Yes. Well, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, Biden called Trudeau. They had a conversation about the what's happening with the convoy. Biden urged Trudeau to crack down with federal authority. Trudeau then started using these these insane emergency powers to freeze bank accounts. So I would maybe turn it to 10, just okay. go down one notch. <laughs> I don't know if there's some, if it's a cabal like Biden and Trudeau, you know, go and then hang out at a secret meeting underground or anything like that. I certainly think these world leaders have trade agreements, have economic ties. And whether whether or not you can say there's one unified organization, like as if Biden and Trudeau literally work for the World Economic Forum, I don't know about all that. I know that they're interested in supporting. I know that they're negotiating with. I know they're attend they 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 attend these similar events. So you know, just just one notch mm-hmm. down. But you know, I'm not completely in complete disagreement. Yeah, the Bank of International Settlements loans money to the Bank of England and the uh, Federal Reserve of New York, which is where I don't know if Canada gets their money through England. I don't know where they. Where does Canada print its money from its central bank? Everyone's just re- responding 20. Yeah, Hell yeah, It's so true. It, when you're up against a machine gun nest, we talked about this yesterday, you do not charge straight at it. Right. That's what these people have done. They charged the position with the Canadian ones. The defenders were like unprepared. And they're like, ah, and then they set up a machine gun nest to protect the area. Yeah. Now, if you're going to go at it, you got to find new methodologies, man. It is so dangerous to repeat this action. Yeah. And, and the other important thing, too, is with the Freedom Convoy in Canada, they really under, underestimated it. Mm. They, they had no idea. They tried smearing it. They tried calling them violent. None of it works. None of it sticks. So then they just say, OK, we go. We're going full fash. They just go full fascist. They freeze bank accounts. They even get socialists like Vosh posting on Twitter like, whoa, this has gone too far. Mm -hmm. They even get, you know, more establishment types like Stephen Marsh was on the show saying like, that's martial law. So they went over the top. I'd be willing to bet they've learned from those mistakes in the United States. Very, very different from Canada. The police are going to be way more brutal. Tear gas will be deployed. They're going to be embedded. I guarantee it. In the trucker convoy, yes. the moment they yes. leave, following them every step of the way, and I think they're going to do everything in their power to disrupt it, but also they're going to be spying on everything the truckers mm-hmm. say or do. They need more enemies. The yes. January 6th thing's getting, becoming old news, and those people have been off the radar. Dude, oh, God. When you have a huge military, you're constantly looking for a place to use it because it's costing you money if you're not. Well, look, we've all, we, all, we all hear about what's going on in Ukraine and with, with, with Russia. And it's remarkable that that's Biden's priority. Mm-hmm. I, I, know, I know it's probably a, a cliche at this point to bring it up. It's become a trope. The southern border is wide open, just completely uh, obliterated. People are pouring through, and the U.S. government doesn't care. And so when I see that, you know, my, my view is it's very obvious the Biden administration has no allegiance to this country. I just don't believe it. I really, really don't. Sending troops to Ukraine? Why? To help Ukraine? To help NATO? To help Europe? Well, we, <laughs> what we, about us? We don't have troops in Ukraine. No, we haven't been Belarus or. Where, well, no, we haven't been Poland. Poland. So the there 18th Airborne and 82nd is it? And the 82nd are there. Yeah. yeah. Now we do have, from what I've read, we have troops. Uh, those who are doing training, which generally in the past that's always been Green Berets. When they're put into uh, that position, that's who generally do the training. And they're trying to help the Ukrainian forces, but that's all the way close to the border with Ukraine. So we, we have no troops in danger. They're in Ukraine. I just mean, you know, why is it such a heavy priority for the U.S. to be involved in training in Poland and doing these things when we, we're not even taking care of ourselves? Well, 
it's really kind of a two-sided coin. Uh, I agree, right, that something needs to be done with the border, but that is the plan. The plan is to keep it open, right? That right. is the policy. Yeah, yes, so. And so obviously there there isn't any other way to stop it other than the states along the border trying to build their own walls, trying to uh, enforce, you know, what is the actual law along the border themselves. So I, I get the analogy, but the danger of uh, what's going on in Ukraine right now is uh, one, it is immediate. I'm not talking about World War III. This has been a carefully orchestrated plan on the part of Putin, and it's not going to stop. Even if all he does is what he's done now, he's won. Yep. So, I mean, he won with Crimea. No, a- absolutely. Yeah. And then all he has to do is take a break and redo it again. Mm. And I, I, you know, I tweeted Putin was afraid of Trump, and I, I believe... I believe it, but I got response. Um, I got a funny response. It was uh, Jermaine Clement from Flight of, the, Flight of the Concords responded to me, and he was he said something like, "Sure, he was." And it was a picture of like Putin standing next to Trump or something. And I'm like, I don't, oh. I don't, I don't know what that picture is supposed to be. I genuinely believe, like, dude, Putin can walk up to Trump and take a picture with him and smile and laugh. Putin wasn't afraid that Donald Trump would physically harm him. Putin's KGB training, you know, what does he do? Jiu-jitsu or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's afraid of Trump on a physical man-to-man level. Like he's going to walk up to him and go, oh, no, it's Trump. He's afraid that Trump is insane hmm. and that if he did something, Trump would act irrationally and do something irrational. Mm-hmm. That would make it very difficult for him to do exactly what he's doing. Right. But honestly, whoever is in office, and I agree with what you're saying to a certain degree, no one was going to stop him. Okay, I don't care who was in office because we're not going to put troops in Ukraine because they are not a member of NATO. Yep. So we have it's both sides of the fence have agreed, right? There's already resolutions already saying boots on the ground, no. Support, that's going to happen. But so uh, I I do agree with what you're saying, but we're dealing with a different creature in Vladimir Putin. But under, look, so we, we saw the escalation of this under Obama. Mm-hmm. And then under Trump, it kind of just fizzles. It kind of just goes into stasis. Biden gets in and all of a sudden it ignites, ignites again. No, and true. But that is also part of the cycle. And this is, I mean, this is kind of what he waits for, right? Opportunity. Yeah. So when you have your opportunity, you strike. So as we talk about more civil unrest and civil disobedience here in the United States, listen, China and Russia, who are becoming closer and closer together, we have the military capability to stop either one, not both. Hmm. Well, I guess the fear is that uh, if the U.S. becomes distracted, China moves in on Taiwan, or there have been uh, uh, some experts who have argued that China will adopt the Russia strategy on Taiwan Hmm. and use pressure, control, manipulation, propaganda, and just slowly eat away at it until they can take Taiwan. I feel like the Americans, a lot of Americans are still in the mindset of the B-52, the age of the B-52, the war of the B-52 bomber. Like, it's not, we're not the dominant force anymore. There's lasers that can blow up everything from everywhere. Anyone thinks that we got the biggest balls on the planet uh, are living in 1970. So uh, you actually saw Trump one time was like, we have the best generals. We can win any. And you see the generals like, shut up, dude. Stop. Don't make us like, don't put us out there is like this this military but do we really have the best generals no 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 no. we don't we don't and we (laughs) don't have the best military either all these militaries are equally destructive at this point well 
at least the Chinese, Russian, and American militaries. If any one of those wants to wipe the planet clean, they could do it. For the 11 aircraft carriers currently floating around the world, we own all of them but one. Except how many Mm. nuclear submarines are there that we don't see? To think that we're the best because we it looks like we're the best is Mm. really disconcerting. I'm a little biased because I served. Oh, yeah. I think we are the best. Not only – and the reason why I think we are the best now is because we – when I was in, having a patch on your left shoulder was very rare. It came from Vietnam. Hmm. Now, if you don't have one, it's an oddity. Hmm. We are battle-hardened and tested. These are not just high school kids just going in and and going through just training – but actually going through the rigors of war. And, and I think it's a good point, Ian. Um, we don't know. You know we, 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 can, we can only make assumptions about the capabilities of these other countries because they're not, they're not going to tell us. But the same could be said for the United States. So for now, if what we know is we don't know what China secretly got because it's a secret. We don't know what Russia secretly has because it's a secret. We don't know what the U.S. has because it's a secret as well. But the U.S. on top of that has 11 aircraft carriers out there. And, and doesn't the U.S. have like 20 or something like that? Well, so the the largest air force in the world is United States Air Force, and then the second largest is United States Navy. Yep. Mm, yeah. Air power. That's right. Uh, and 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 I'll just make one more point. Sorry. No. Uh, we can see with satellites when other countries are building weapons, because we can see shipping lanes. We can see the movement of resources. I can't remember who was talking to us about this. They were saying like, you know, we would know if these other countries were building warships or advanced technology. Because of the massive amount of manpower and resources to move all this stuff. Mm-hmm. When it came to the Manhattan Project, we didn't have satellite spot, we didn't have spy satellites or anything like that. Right. So when blasts were going off, you know, sensors were picking things up, but the Russians, they couldn't, you know, I'm sorry, this is uh, during World War II, like the, you know, Axis powers were just like, hmm, what's happening? Throughout the Cold War with all the nuclear testing, we, it was espionage. You had to like physically go. Now we got satellites up there just watching everybody. They can read your license plates. <laughs> so we can see everything. Plus we have AI tracking all this stuff and it'll be like, we've noticed a large deposit of iron being shipped underground for some reason. And then the U.S. is going to be like, we know something's being built there. Well, and the key is not simply to have the best or the well trained, but you have to have them in position to win. Right. This is why we don't want to. I mean, I, I, I thought Larry Sharp was, a, you know, that was awesome yesterday. Great ideas. But to get out of NATO, that that would be a mistake. You have to have the force in position or it's basically not going to be able to react. I think I like wanna, ground forces and now we're in the age of intercontinental ballistic missiles and rods from God, tungsten rods dropping from orbit, like position. We're all in position now to get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that hasn't changed. I, I, I mean, like it's been that way for a long time. Not like, n- literally since what, like late, not, not late mention, 90s or something. But we're, we're, we're target. We're, we're fighting warfare with sanctions right now. So Biden's like, I'm going to sanction these rich guys because they want to put pressure on these ultra wealthy individuals who are like, hey, man, I like flying on planes and eating, you know, steaks in New York City. Don't sanction me. And then they're hoping that influence will trickle down and, and cause some change. I think if we if the U.S. got embroiled, it'd be like the power grid gets blown up um, and then they cut off all their oil from from Europe and, and Asia. And, no, and then America's done for like if the power goes i don't know it feels like so vulnerable everyone acts so tough and like we do have great troops and we have we used to have the best well, technology but now well don't me, get me wrong i'm certainly not advocating level. for any of it yeah but I, i'm going to defend my brothers in arms also let, um let, well, let me ask you guys if uh the president came out and said we need to build wind farms solar power 
so that we can be energy, uh, uh, so we can have sufficient energy in the event of war. Do you think people would be like, oh, that sounds good to me? Or do you think they'd be like, no, no war. Don't do it. Raytheon would be like, that's a great idea. Let's well, start building I, I, solar panels. But it doesn't, isn't, isn't, isn't that the appropriate, you know, you've got the climate change left. Right. And you've got the energy independent loving right. Couldn't they just be like, yeah. we're going to be energy independent so that no one, no one can screw with us. Hey, the climate change left wins on this one. The right, you know, we see the market energy independence. We went on this one where we're, we're, it seems like unity there. No, and there should be because that's the grid. Our electrical grid is one of the most insecure part of our infrastructure. You know, we, we have a, a, a investor of ours in Fortitude Ranch. His name is David Tyson. He, he's putting out a, a documentary on this, and it's really excellent. I, I've, I was able to get a sneak peek, um, and it's uh, griddowndoc.com. You could actually go and see the trailer, and he's going to be putting this out. Phenomenal job. He actually has a booth at the upcoming CPAC um, this Saturday, and so he's looking to launch that. And it, it was so well done to show exactly how vulnerable we are. Uh, we have to, I just heard it too. A couple news outlets picked it up, not, not about his documentary, but about this fact because of the possibility this thing gets out of hand. Our, you know, that's our weakest point. And when that happens, I'm sorry, that's going to bring in. Uh, this, uh, the most serious crisis of our time in the possible collapse. And it'll be a cyber attack. And it will start with cyber. Yeah, we yeah. talked about, before the show, we were talking about this, and I mentioned driving down the street, and I saw a big power plant just there. <laughs> I was like, it's the most vulnerable. Absolutely. And then you would mention, well, Dad, but that's not even the cyber aspect of it. That's just the physical blunt trauma you can inflict on the, the power yeah, grid locally. And think about sleeper cells, right? Mm. So if somebody's really looking to destabilize us and things get out of hand there, that that is going to be uh, targeted. It surprises I'll, I'll, me that I'll it hasn't happened yet. Do you think that that's oh, because whoa, whoa, they're whoa, planning whoa, whoa, a big whoa, whoa, one? Well, you got to hold your horses. Thank I was about you. to say something. Oh. Yeah. That's, you're going to enjoy. Thanks, Tim. Um, there was this uh, moment during the Trump presidency where Trump ordered an airstrike on Iranian targets. Mm. Abruptly, Donald Trump ordered the airstrike off. Told him, turn around, come back home. And when when asked why, he said, I asked how many people were down there. They said 500. And I said, it didn't make sense to kill that many people in this strike. So we, we called it off. But one thing I noticed, and it could be totally unrelated, was that from the point where the airstrike was deployed, in that moment, I believe it was some kind of oil refinery in Philadelphia, exploded for some yeah. reason. Now, I asked some of a bunch of my cybersecurity and, um, you know, like whitehead hacker buddies, and they said they didn't think in any way it was related. And I said, is that because you don't have evidence or because you think it's impossible? And they were like, well... I have no reason to believe it. Sometimes these accidents happen, but it's certainly possible. And so I, I, again, there's no evidence to suggest this is the case, but is it possible that Trump ordered an airstrike and Iran said, blow up a, a reactor and blow up a refinery in Philadelphia? Did. Then they, they rushed to Trump and they said, they're holding our facilities hostage. You need to can't t- call this off before we get decimated from a cyber attack. One thing I can tell you is that uh, industrial control systems in the U.S. are extremely vulnerable to cyber attacks because a lot of them were built in the 70s. They use this archaic and ancient operating operating systems. They're, they're, they're being updated, obviously, and security is a big issue. But man, some of the people that I've talked to who work in the security areas of this stuff have just been like, 
it's like a few lines of basic code can blow up this facility. You make make me think of Stuxnet. This is from yeah, Malicious exactly. Computer. You've heard of this oh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, malicious Computer Worm first uncovered in 2010 and thought to have been developed since at least 2005. Uh, it targets supervisory control and data acquisition systems and is believed to be responsible for causing substantial damage to the nuclear program of Iran. Mm. Now, if we did that to Iran, I'm not. I wouldn't be shocked if Iran did that back. And I think it was uh, it was the U.S. and Israel working together on yes. the weapon. Yes. And then uh, what what it, what it did was it caused the, the nuclear centrifuges to not stop. So then they eventually overheated and blew up. <laughs> There's just one that we fig- that we've uncovered, Stuxnet. There's probably tons I think of I those. think it was because someone found Stuxnet infecting like home computers or something. I could be wrong about that. Well, and so the, you know, we got the information from the Israelis, the specifics, and that's why we knew exactly how the functioning inner workings were with the pumps and the different things that work the controlling mechanisms. And so we went to the heart. I see. So we figured out how it worked, then we wrote code yes. to disrupt yes. how it worked. It was, it was specifically written to do that one thing. It's crazy. And, and, uh, so my understanding is that people, uh, their regular computers got infected with Stuxnet, but it didn't matter because it has zero effect on your home computer. It was just infecting everything until it found those specific, you know, controls, those, those machines. And For five it, years and until it, it was uncovered. Up. And then it blew them up. And that was like, wow. Okay. So and it's not the only one. There's been a bunch of, uh, weapons that have been developed that have been, I, I think a couple, I can't remember the names. And that's years ago, right? Right. I mean, yeah. It was like 10 years ago. So imagine, it? imagine what's there now. Jeez. What's out there? I went to, there's a, there's a conventions. There's two of them, DEF CON and Black Hat, the hacker conventions in Las Vegas. This is 10 years ago, mind you, but I, I saw these uh, uh, hackers explain very easily how to blow up uh, pump stations. They were like, you name it, oil, water, any kind of chemical. And they did a demonstration where they showed the industrial control system. They, they showed it operate. And then the guy said, I'm, gonna, I'm now going to enter our, our code and activate, you know, press enter. And then all of a sudden they put a pressure release valve. But what they did was they told the system to pull, to force pressure in, in the same direction. So the pressure collides and builds up in one spot and causes a pipe to explode. They wow. put a pressure release valve on it. So then it sprays across the room and they catch it in a pitcher and water sprays everywhere. Whoa. They were like, imagine if we, if we didn't have that release valve for the purpose of the demonstration, the pipe would overpressurize and blow up. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Another mm. thing they showed us was that they said for nuclear reactor cooling systems, there's the computer needs to know the temperature of the water. They said only a few lines of code and we change the temperature to say it's colder than it is, overheats and explodes. That's a, or, or, or melts down, you know, disrupts the system. If we're wargaming this, a worst case scenario or bad case scenario, there's conflict. Uh, someone wants to invade the country and then they blow out 
the grid, the electric grid with a virus. I don't know. Would it take out the entire grid? Is there like a backup plan? And I don't even know if you're the guy that knows the answers to this, Steve, but I'm asking you. Well, you know, it's broken down into segments, right? So there's there's four basic hubs of where this work and how it would affect it. All are not so intertwined that you could take it all at once. Um, but then you have the whole spectrum of an EMP, right, if, if we ever get to that day. Uh, which would just completely fry multiples. Mm-hmm. Because if you'd have to do it at air burst, you wouldn't want it to hit the ground because that wouldn't have the same effect. But don't, doing right. it as an air burst, then there would really be a problem. I think solar yeah. flares can cause that too. Yeah, to a degree. We but haven't no. seen them, you know, the magnitude of them would have to be much more than what we normally see. So let, let's do this. Let's, let's start from the beginning of where we are with this war stuff. All right. The story from the Daily Mail. Biden sanctions Putin's spy chief, his deputy chief of staff, and multimillionaire Russian military bank CEO. President hits Kremlin inner circle and deploys more troops after slamming Russian leader for thinking he has a right to claim parts of Ukraine. So I guess today they, that Russia kind of upped the ante and said, you know, we're going to you know, occupy the entirety of these regions, even the parts that are controlled by Ukraine, because they're saying they're independent states. Biden, of course, comes out and responds. Putin, I guess, I, I, what did he say? That he was in a meeting and didn't bother yeah. watching what Biden had to say? Didn't hear it. This is, this is the first domino. Sanctions on specific people. If it, 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 it has to escalate beyond this, if we're going to see any, any of this crazy war right. stuff we've been talking about. So I guess right now, if this is what we're seeing, you know, Russia is putting troops in Ukraine. Do you see it, 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 do you see a strong possibility, Steve, of it escalating beyond just sanctions? Yes, because they've already been claiming that the Ukraines were shelling the separatists, which there's, there's no proof of that. I don't know if you've seen the articles, but the the separatists have been shelling into Ukraine. That we know for sure. We've seen the sides of kindergarten buildings with, you know, the, the hole in it. So, uh, again, we got we have all the propaganda ganda going on from both sides right but now you have actual russian troops that you can say are being shelled and if actual russian troops are killed and they blame it on the ukrainians now we've just tipped another domino it's amazing right you can invade a country and then if you get shelled while you're invading you blame it on the defenders for right no exactly Mm -hmm. that's crazy and look we, we you know we have people in the chat who are saying things like, oh, but they're independent regions. They have a right to declare independence. And so the question is, did these regions really declare independence? Mm. Now, so here's where it gets a little bit sketchy. And what I mean is, if you can understand what happened when the Soviet Union took over, they russified all of the occupation countries that they're in. And so you had generations and generations that while they understood their heritage, they sort of felt Russian. And it wasn't all that bad. And then as the Soviet Union uh, breaks down, and so they retreat back to the motherland, Russia proper, you've, you've get these generations who still have a kindred spirit with the Russians. And so that's what you're finding along the eastern border there with Ukraine. So the reason they're doing it this way, these are Russian-speaking people. This is what they speak every day. As you start getting closer and closer to Kiev, as you keep going more to the West, they stop speaking Russian the, the, and they start speaking Ukrainian. Well, the, right. In, in Kiev, though, a lot of people speak both, both. languages. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. like when I would go to visit Lithuania from Belarus, 
they they so do not like the Russians that it's offensive to talk to them in Russian. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if they didn't know English, I had to fall back on my Russian in order for us to communicate and they at all. Russian. Right? Mm-hmm. So, it, it, but they'd be like, Ugh, I hate to do this, but they would speak Russian with me. And, and so you get this, but that's because they were ran over, right? I mean, the, the people who are in a bad way now are the Baltic states because Putin has just annexed Belarus. You don't, I mean, there are articles about this, but nobody realized how important that is. The troops are never leaving Belarus again. You so what, Russian troops in Belarus? 30,000. That's how they're going to attack from the north if it would ever yep. happen. And this is actually what puts Kiev in such a, a strong, a very serious, uh, uh, harmful way. You want to know what really trips out Americans, I find? Kaliningrad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kaliningrad. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? <laughs> cool. But now that what gives you... Let me show you. Let me show you. Uh, Kaliningrad is south of Lithuania and north of Poland. It's an enclave, right? It's a, it, yeah, it's uh it's it's Russia. Yes. It it's a Russian enclave. A piece of Russia. Right there in the in the Baltic Sea. And uh, so if you're looking at we got Moscow, we got Russia here, we got Belarus, we got Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, and then most people don't know this. You show them a map and you ask them, "Hey, look at this." Right <laughs> when there's the, when it's like there's there's no word here. It's just this little carve out. What is that? And the people are like, "I don't it's Russia." Mm. Yeah. Wait, what? Mm. It's it's Russia. Kaliningrad. Part- and now, and, and that's very militarized. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's its only real purpose, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And now by staying in Belarus, you now give air cover to Kaliningrad. This is a fun little factoid though for Americans who don't know their European geography, because I don't, I don't expect Americans to for the most right. part. Uh, there is a piece of Russia in, just in between the Baltic states. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of what started World War II. Hitler, part of Germany was split off and given to Poland. Uh, I think was it the Sudetenland? I think or was that Czechoslovakia? Part of Czechoslovakia that was uh, I couldn't. Tell there's you. part of Germany was cut off and given, and so he invaded to take it back. Like if the Russians invaded Lithuania to connect this area to to Russia, you would see like similar to what Hitler did. Well, if they're occupying Belarus, I mean, um, what is this? Is Be- Belarus is very pro-Russia? No, no. So it, here's the backstory to this. Their president, Alexander Lukashenko, has been a thorn in the side of Putin for many, many years. He played, he used to play this game. He would go and look towards the West, make him mad, but look for IMF money. Mm-hmm. And then when he got what he wanted, he would go back to Putin <laughs> and then he'd give him all kinds of hassle over that pipeline going, coming through Belarus, right? And they get such a discount for the fact that that pipeline goes through there. Um, he, he, he literally called him the fly on a katnety, which is like a piece of meat. It's a meat patty in, mm. in, in Russian. <laughs> and he's like, you're just a fly on a piece of meat. You, but he was a thorn. Well, <laughs> his last election, he could not handle the protests after it was widespread corruption. corruption. Everybody knew it. They peacefully demonstrated like they'd never done before. He couldn't squelch it. He called in Russian security forces. They helped him to put down that. And his payment now is they're staying. Wow. So it's an unofficial annexation. Exactly. But so they it, are going, there is, they're going to, uh, next month vote to no longer become neutral, which is huge. Mm. They, they have signed a pact saying they would help the Russians fight the Ukrainians. Never done that before. And everything is changing. And now that puts pressure on the Baltics, gives air cover for Kaliningrad, and then that now gives you a really quick path down to Kiev. But are they, I, I can't believe Russia is going to move 
into Kiev. Oh no, no, I, I, I honestly don't think. So. I, I saw these reports where they're saying, you know, it's like the U.S. intelligence agencies are telling journalists, like, we believe Russia will occupy Kiev and start hunting down Zelensky supporters. He's the president of Ukraine. I'm like, that's n- no way. I don't, I don't want to have optimism bias or normalcy bias to say right. like the war can't happen, but that's a bit extreme. Isn't it? He'll no, be- honestly, yeah, it's it. But of course, you got to start playing the. If it does happen, we, we talked about it, right? So you gotta look good in case it does, right? You gotta, so they're, they're giving all this and interestingly enough, right? They're preemptively trying to say what he's going to do. So it makes you put you in a better position. Yo, I feel so bad for Ukraine, man. Oh, I know. Uh, when, when the Euromaidan protests broke out, I got sent there. Uh, I went to go report there. I was working for Vice at the time. I met a lot of really cool people. I've, uh, a friend of mine's from Kiev and good food. Awesome architecture, good people. I really enjoyed my time mm. there. And then you see how the history of this country is just being brutalized throughout the Soviet Union, the Holodomor. Yeah. And you mentioned the uh, Russification of the East. It's like, well, yeah, they starved out the Ukrainians yeah. and stole their food and the breadbasket of Europe. Yep. Uh, I mean, some it, of the most fertile um, farmland. Absolutely. I think it's crying shame. I mean, I would imagine if he goes past this, he needs a land bridge to Crimea. That really helps yep. him. So if it's going to, no matter how he, what he's looking to do, I've heard different analysis from different experts and I agree. I, I don't remember who it was, but basically taking one third of Ukraine would probably be the smartest thing to do and wouldn't trip it into a full, uh, third world war. You, you get the Russian speaking, you get your land bridge down to, Crimea, and then you're all set for whatever you want to do next. But do you, do you think he'll go as far as Kharkiv? Is it I really don't think so. But honestly, I'm, I'm, you you can't. Not a very easy person to predict. Other than we've yeah. seen the pattern over and over again, right? Of taking some slowly uh, and then backing off, so that when you get to the negotiations, this has to stop. And we know from the leaked um emails through the state department they're already willing to tell them we won't put certain military units in certain areas he's already got um on the defensive right so it's working i feel like he is uh actually is easy to predict putin he seems like a stable uh military leader like with secret service like i he's not going to take too much too fast he knows that he doesn't want to be seen as a warmonger I, I think, I, yeah, I don't think that Putin's going to be the guy that gets us into any kind uh-huh. of world conflict. It would be a response to that, if anything. But I don't even well, right. He's it too take smart. A, he doesn't want to It would take stuff. a miscalculation. I would agree with you with that assessment. But um, it, it would take a miscalculation. Right? Yeah. And that, and that's what it, that's really what the, the fear is here. A miscalculation. A well, miscalculation. Part, fortunately, he's smart and well, in control stray, of his faculties. Right, a stray missile. Well, I'll tell you what what, what freaks me out with uh, this this Ukraine uh, story with Russia. Uh, Ian just mentioned the Sudetenland. Hitler kept going saying, look, these areas were historically German or the people there are being oppressed and they're German people. So we're going to move in. And what we got from uh, from the UK or from Europe, Neville Chamberlain famously, Mm -hmm. was appeasement. Right. Over and over and over again as this this psychopath was not only – killing tons of people or had, you know, it was planning to, uh, was co- invading other countries and then trying to f- just basically take over. I would, I would argue, I take over the world or, you right. know, claim as much land as possible. We look at what Vladimir Putin's done with, with uh, Crimea. And now we're looking at what he's doing with uh, the Donbass region. If he really does go for a third of the country, he's got to move in further. 
It's not just going to be the Donbass region. That is a small portion, right? No, right. So you'd go south and you'd go he, north. He'd cut down. So yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to connect those borders. So you want right. to you want to meet up with Belarus there because now you've already annexed it to one degree. And then you want to go down and, and make Wait, the connection to Crimea. I mean, that looks like more like half the country. If he goes from Belarus all the way down to Crimea. No, I'm, not, I'm just saying where you have that land bridge. So you just you want to have the ability then oh, to right. move supplies. It's about supply lines. Right. Right. And, and so you've. Uh, are, are, are we, is, is Joe Biden, our, our Neville Chamberlain, is he's gonna, is he gonna sit back and be like, oh, you know, look, we're gonna, what, what, what did he say in that speech? He was like, it, you know, it depends on if it's a minor incursion, right? Yeah, that seemed like a gaffe. I don't, I don't think that was yeah. what he was in, was in, was on the list no, I, for him to say. It's, I, I think he, I think it's he, possible it could have been a signal that, you know, this much, would be acceptable, right? I, I think it was a gaffe, but I think he said the the quiet part loud. Yeah. I, I think Joe Biden and you know the State Department they said we can tolerate a minor incursion. We can't do more than that. And Biden blurted it out on national TV, and Putin went, "Really? Right? Okay." Because it doesn't change things to to much of a degree because those areas were already occupied, right? They say they don't have Russian troops there, but they have Russian mercenaries, which yeah. are just Guys straight out of the military going there. I mean, special forces all in there. Uh, you know, you just don't wear the uniform, right? Just like they did in Crimea. So it, it, well, it does change things because from what we're talking about is this is literally an invasion because you're, you're, uh, breaking away international laws, precedences and going across sovereign border. But he already built the case that that's not true. They asked for independence. We recognize it. And so it's. But but what's the point of It's kind of silly that Putin is like, well, they're independent states and they've asked for help. It's like, who believes you? The people who already side with you? His people. Well, the Russians believe him. But is that really the issue though? He's trying to generate popular support within Russia? No, but you gotta be able to say your bold face lie with a straight face. Yeah. Right? So you have to have some argument. That's true. I guess if he didn't have that, he'd be telling the people of his own country, we are just trampling over other countries. Yeah, or, or but more more importantly, the UN Security Council. That's where you got to be able but to do But do they it. really believe it? No, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because he, he can, he can, <laughs> and in a way it is justified. But so thinking back to the one thing he really can truly say is that NATO is really encroaching on his border. Right. And I mean, th- th- he can say that there- there's truth in that. Now, if you put yourself in Russian shoes, you don't want NATO is any closer to you than possibly they can. Right. And-, and so granted that. But to go about it in this way, I mean, obviously, is uh, the only way he feels he can accomplish the buffer that he's looking for. And he's looking for a buffer. You think, he wants- you think it's really that? I mean, with uh, with Crimea, it's because they have uh, uh, they have the military base there. Is that isn't that what, it, what the reason was? Well, yeah. Well, they just naval base, sorry. right? So now they have all of what they didn't have as far as naval infrastructure, and so and, and of course, listen. All you have to do is pull up a map of the pipelines leaving Russia, and it makes complete sense of everything that's going on as well. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Ukraine, the pipelines running through Ukraine. Oh yeah, one of the biggest. So, and you have another one going through um, Belarus. And like I told you, Alexander Lukashenko was such a big thorn. Now that thorn's gone. 
And at the end of the day, this is the only way he truly can stay equal with NATO. It's through the resources that they're all dependent on. So he has a plan for the Nordstrom deal, or else he he wouldn't be doing this either. So Crimea is basically a way to get oil out of Russia. Yeah, well, it gives you the ports, but it also gave you now a southern route of attack. And, yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a phenomenal position for a world war. That the Crimea and the Baltic, is that the Baltic Sea? The Black, the Black sea. sea. The Black Sea. Oh, my gosh. What an amazing but that's, position. That's, that's their only warm water port, right? Right. Yeah. So they, they went when, with NATO moving in on Ukraine, and this was one of the big issues pertaining to uh, the, the Euromaidan movement, Yanukovych being ousted, N- Ukraine trying to join NATO or align with the European Union, whatever it was, Russia's thinking, we'll lose Crimea. And we need that access. So they said, we're going to take it now or forever hold our peace. So then a referendum was held in Crimea and they all voted to oh, join Russia. Oh, yeah. There oh, you yeah. go. Is that simple? Huh? Uh, I mean, it, and that's the thing. So if if Zelensky wasn't there, we wouldn't be going through this because he is clearly pro-West. He is looking to get into NATO. NATO's not really that interested because they understand the consequences and being realistic, they understand he does need a buffer. I, I mean, both sides understand that. But if, if like the former president there in Ukraine, if he would have been Russian-leaning, we wouldn't be looking at it. Well, wasn't Yanukovych Russian-leaning? Yes. And then he fled to Russia yeah. after he got ousted. Yes. So what people got to understand is um, when we have these conversations, it's always from an American perspective. Yeah. The Russian perspective is more that the U.S. is orchestrating an ousting of Yanukovych to put in pro-Western leaders. They do the same thing with Syria. I'd say it's probably half true. You got you to cut. No, absolutely. Gotta, Why wouldn't we? Well, you got to cut through the propaganda and then figure out what's really going on. And the, the, the view of a lot of these people is that the protests in Ukraine were supported by the West to try and get rid of a guy who was more favorable towards Russia, or at the very least, was kind of playing that game where he was like, what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? You know? Oh, absolutely. We do it all over the world. We've been doing it forever. I mean, every side does this. It is kind of funny, though, that now Russia is playing this game and America, you know, Joe Biden's like, how dare you? And Putin's probably going like, bro, he's like, you've been playing this game well longer than I have. You know, now I do it. You get mad about it. Well, yeah, we do. I guess. So it's, it, it, it's tough. You know, what, what moral, uh, uh, pedestal does the United States have to stand on when Russia's playing the same game other than we are powerful and we can tell you not to do it? No, it, it, it's a, it's very difficult. And again, I, honestly, I'm no fan of this current administration, right? I mean, as an organization, we're apolitical because we deal with threats. We don't deal with who's causing the threat, right? There has to be a realization of that. But if you're looking to analyze this thing, you can't take the past actions um, and allow it to warp you to not see something for what it is. So I agree the whole thing about the border, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the truth of why we shouldn't not uh, not be in NATO and well, I, why there isn't a reason for us to at least be making sure that this doesn't spread. I think you made a great point, though. The southern border, uh, border the southern border policy. Is to be is to be weak. That is it. it yeah, is so by design. So when people are coming out and they're being like, "Why why aren't we defending our own borders?" Like, well, they, they, it's that's the opposite of what they want. Right. They absolutely so don't <laughs> want it. Right. <laughs> so that that's a proven fact now. Yeah. Well, that just says to me that I think, you know, uh, Ian's talking about this this global. What do you call it? Like liberal glo- economic order. Liberal liberal economic order. 
I guess some people call it the Davos Group or the Great Reset or the yeah. World Economic Forum. Whatever. Nineteen forty-six is when they formed the liberal economic order right well, when, after World War Two. When you have when you have an administration that uh, tells Canada, you know, the Biden administration, hey, use emergency powers, crack down to an extreme degree, and they do. When you have an administration that says our policy is for the southern U.S. border to be just completely open. And then we're going to go defend and worry about Russia and, and Ukraine. Yeah, I'll It pass. just sends a hard signal. I understand why we care. You know, we don't want this, you know, things spiraling out of control. But it certainly just seems like Biden's priority is not America. No, right. And so it's frustrating, right? Yep. But I guess, you know, I guess I would just say don't become so jaded that you don't, you simply because you don't like what's going on in the border, you don't realize the importance of Ukraine. That's all I'm saying. Keep it. Keep keep one separate from the other because they are two separate things. And while one may f- really frustrate you, and don't underestimate the importance of what's going on there. I I, I wonder though, just you know, one, one last thought on all of this. You know, what's the probability you think this could spiral into to a greater conflict beyond just this this region? The possibility definitely exists. I don't think that would be the plan in the immediate, um, but. I don't think it's ever the plan, right? Well, I, the plan is, you know, and has been take Crimea, subjugate Belarus, get portions of Ukraine. He's clearly had this plan, been working on it for a little while. It's all coming to fruition because there is no, uh, there is really nothing we can do but to try to keep it from spiraling, right? If he wants it, he can take it. That no one would, no one's saying otherwise. The Ukrainian forces cannot stop the initial assault. Now, they can become partisans and turn this into a guerrilla-type warfare. True. And that's more probably what he doesn't want than anything. He wants to topple this government, though. He wants Zelensky out. And he'll do that by any means. And the fact is, where does the calculate? Has he calculated right or hasn't he? I'll say, you know, I, I I see two potentials. When we look back at what Germany did with, you know, as, as again, to, to reference what Ian said, the Sudetenlands and uh, the appeasement, that, that, that was only the war that broke out was one potential of what, what, what could have happened. And we look back on history and we say, look at what Germany did. It led to war. Therefore, these things lead to war. It's not necessarily true. That time it did. In this instance, we could sit back and just appease and try and placate come out and say peace in our time, whatever nonsense. And, and maybe Vladimir Putin will take the Donbass region and just stop. It, there's no guarantee that actually turns into World no. War Three, But I will add, it is, it is uh, a, a variable that could lead to that point. It is, it is a moment in time that could lead to a very similar circumstance. It's hard to know if it will, though. And what do you do? Do we as Americans say... We can't allow Russia to, they, 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 they've, they've used this strategy over and over again. I guess they, they use it in what, with Georgia? Mm-hmm. They played this game. Yeah. They're doing it with Crimea. If we sit back and it's five, ten years later and now a third of Ukraine is under, is under Russian control as a satellite state, do we just let that keep happening until the Baltic states, you know, are now just under the boot of Russia? Do we intervene? What happens if we don't? What happens if Lithuania, or Belarus, or any of these other countries, Poland loses their mind, saying, like, we are not going to allow that because they certainly don't like what the Soviet Union was all about. What happens if that just breaks out into a war in Europe? We stay out of it, saying we don't want to be involved. China moves on Taiwan. 
Now there's fighting in the Pacific. There's fighting in Eastern Europe. The U.S. begins doing weapons deals with uh, European countries. And then China says, you are funding our enemies and then bombs Pearl Harbor. Oh, it, it, yeah, we could talk for a long time on how, how far that could yes, how, be the same play out. Oh, absolutely. And the, you know what they would say? They would, they, they, we talk, we talk about how, uh, between World War One and World War Two, it was one war with a 20 year armistice or something like that. That right. was just reignited from the same grievances. You could argue that this is a remnant of the same, of the end of World War Two. The difference would be China wouldn't bomb Pearl Harbor, although they might. They would bomb San Francisco, New York, Washington DC, mm. uh, Dallas. I don't, Fort Worth, well, they would bomb I, Kansas City, they'd bomb Seattle. They, they all at once. It would all happen in a day, in a, in an hour. I so use, that is I use, why what we don't want. I use bombing of Pearl Harbor not in a literal sense, but to make a point the about nuclear, too. Right. the similarities between right. World War II and what we're seeing here. Uh, I, I'm not so sure China. How many nukes do they have? Like fifty. They don't have uh, that many, do they? No, they 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 got plenty. They, plenty, yeah. plenty enough. You only need one, right? They, well, right. And I they mean, have nuclear submarines off the west coast. The, of the there's US. the most dangerous part, right? Russia's yep. got more than they could possibly use. Same thing with us. You know, I was in nukes for five years. We had twelve Russia. I was stationed in Germany. We had twelve nuclear uh, missiles pointed at Russia twenty four seven. Wow, twelve that you knew of. Yeah, that. So what we did was we rotated. We rotated. One battalion does it for 30 days because it's around the clock. If you're in the shower and the alarm goes off, you have 30 seconds to make it to the gate and get those missiles launched because our life expectancy was 30 seconds. What, what, around what year was this? So that would have been 89. These were Pershing two missiles. So they were short range, could hit their, they come within 10 meters of their target. And you're talking about a nuke. You you don't have to come that close, right? But, but it was low yield. They, they, They all blow up in the air. No, these were made to hit targets. Interesting. Yeah. And so now we, SALT II Treaty, we did away with them. And that was for to everybody to back down, right? Because we're getting towards the end of the Cold War. Let's not have so many of these just sitting there active, ready to go. And, And so those were done away with. That's when I... So my basically my MOS was no longer, and that's when I switched but it, to military intelligence. Uh, was it was it under Trump the START treaty basically fell apart? The yeah, denuclearization started to. Well, and it's because everybody else never follows it, right? right. I mean, Russia breaks it all the time. Iran's broken it all the time. That's what gets so frustrating. Although you, you have to sit down at the table, you have to do it, but it it never really solves. I think weapons. Look, with the Manhattan Project, you had this decentralization, de- uh, compartmentalization. People didn't know what was being what was being done until after a bunch of bombs fell, and all of a sudden everyone figured out what America had done. And uh, the decades after that, the the nuclear weapons um, we have today are about uh, one thousand to tw- uh, one thousand two hundred fifty one thousand to one thousand two hundred and fifty times more powerful mm-hmm. than the bombs we used in World War II. Isn't that something? Yeah. One ICBM. A MERV, a multiple independently targeted reentry vehicle carrying 10 to 12 warheads, peppers the eastern seaboard. You don't need 50 nukes. No, you don't. You need 10 warheads in one ICBM. And then it goes up into the stratosphere and this goes, and they all just go, wipe out cities. And I mean, these things are massively powerful. Not to mention the latest developments. And this is, I think this was actually like seven years ago, I was researching this in gravity bomb technology, which is the bombs we used in World War II were gravity bombs. We drop them from planes. We don't launch them or anything. We've compressed those down really, really small megaton bombs. So they're, they're, they're very small and, and comparably as powerful. The, the weapons that we know about, scary. I mean, think about nuclear artillery. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, 
I haven't looked into it, but how, how, what are the actual artillery pieces that can launch nukes? No, put what, well load, load a warhead in a howitzer? You're, you're right. I mean, there's a, there's different versions of what can do what, but just the idea that these types of capabilities exist is why we don't use them. Okay. Because in the end, nobody wants to really blow up the planet. Right. So it's been a, it has worked in deterring. It's not going to stop everything, but it has worked in deterring. I guess it's partly makes me think like why if China ta- invades Taiwan, no one is going to try and stop it. If Russia takes Crimea or Belarus, no one's going to stop it. If America takes Mexico, no one's going to stop it because no one wants well these conquering empires to fire their nukes. Taiwan is very sensitive because they make 63% of all the chips that we are already short of. 63% if I'm accurate. That's huge. What is it the kind of thing where like it's better that no one has it than China has it? Well, if they dominate that market, right? We so you see the pictures of I saw one this week where Ford Broncos are piling up in the parking lot again because uh, the shortage of chips, mm-hmm. and that's because we don't produce them here, which we're trying to rectify. Right? There's a lot of things we're trying to rectify because we've seen our our weakness through COVID and how much control China has over these things. Add in Taiwan to that, and it just that it would cripple technology. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's very important. We would do something about it. But is it the kind of thing where we would like scorched earth the place and be like, hey, you can't take this from us. You can have, no- you can have nothing and none of us get it. Well, yeah. no, we would, I would imagine we would literally actively try to stop them, right? And, and that's going to have to do with all naval power because, you know, we, that's where you, you send the seven fleets, right? If, is that that's where we're going to have to start because that China has slowly been building those islands to claim that entire region, but also to give them a place to launch something militarily. Building islands is a smart move. Very smart. And so that means, you know, they, the Marines would have a tough job. Yeah, they would, that's what they'd have to clear. They'd surround Taiwan and blockade the, the island, I would imagine. The Chinese. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah. think there'd be like sea, sea battles? Right. No, there'd be an air foot right in the air on the sea because we don't have troops on the ground. Yeah, if China and the United States ever fight each other, that's like the beginning of total war, I, I think. I, limited war is when, like, the Taiwanese forces are fighting the, the Belarusian forces, and they're both funded by one side or the other. The Americans are funding the Taiwanese, and the Chinese are funding them. Yeah, so fortunately, the right for us, there's a great distance between us and China, yeah. us and Russia, other than Alaska, uh, right? Because all you have there is the Bering Sea. But, uh, I mean, that's what's kept the peace. Right. And, and that's been our, that's been our beauty. We've had Canada and we've had Mexico. There's no threat there, right? Militarily. We have a sweet spot right here. So it's not easy for, to get to us. Therefore, we have to project power. That's why we make our Navy what it is. And, and that helps us to control the situation until you can actually then get the rest of what's needed, boots on the ground, the supplies that go into all that. And again, that's why not being a part of NATO would, would well, not be smart. I'll, I'll make another, I want to make another point too, is, you know, especially as we're talking about nuclear weapons. America is, 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 uh, uh, the United States, great geography in terms of war, just because we, we've got both coasts, we've got the interstate highway system, which the was mountains, designed for this. The we've mountains got the are great mountains, for it. seriously. 
And then I was thinking about, you know, but what if, you know, we're talking about nuclear weapons. You know, Ian, you were mentioning China would just wipe out all these cities. I tell you this, even if the U.S. got nuked to kingdom come by, you know, dozens of warheads, they would still not be able, no one would be able to conquer this this country for one reason. The sheer amount of guns that exist here, even after we've been nuked, you ain't coming in. Although, and I'm thinking about that video game Fallout, which I love, yeah, Fallout yeah, yeah. 3. And I'm imagining like, in this game, in the Fallout series, you're finding guns and bullets everywhere. And I'm like, actually, it makes sense. But what if the game took place in China or in Australia that you'd find none? So thinking about that, if nuclear war really broke out, you know, there's a, there's a quote from Einstein. I know not what World War Three. What, what, uh, I know not what weapons World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four will be fought fought with sticks and stones. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I think World War Four would just be the United States armed to the teeth with all of the insane amount of guns they have, and then they would just conquer everybody. I don't. <laughs> it's no, I, it's, not it's the disease that I'm concerned. Like the Native Americans, 95 percent of them were wiped out by smallpox when the settlers came over. Numbers I've heard. I could see like nuclear war and then just disease. Kills the, all these people with their guns that just starve and run out of water and then get sick and well, die and then someone comes in to clean it up. So we're strong enough now, right? But we used to live in the United States of America. We now live in the divided states of yeah. America. And herein will be our Achilles heel. Because politically and culturally, there does not seem to be a path back to normalcy where we could get five individuals six into this room and speak like rational adults right that conversation is no longer happening and i don't i don't know how we turn that corner because it, it it's mm. just we just seen it with canada we we would never would have guessed right that it would have gone to that extreme and and the poor the problem is now, this is happening at the level of our children because of the foolishness in schools. Mm. And listen, I, I, you know, I sort of understand the argument, but let me make one thing personally clear. Uh, no one on the face of the planet is going to make me feel guilty for being born. Right. Mm. So this I is- did not choose where, when, and to whom. I had nothing, nothing to say in that matter. But people on the other side of this, politically and culturally, are not going to understand that language that you're speaking. You know, the languages are so different. So you juxtapose at this point, like you really can't communicate. That's why that's no, part of the divide. I, yeah. And I get that. Believe yeah. me. So I'm not going to go out and try to do no harm to anybody else. But they will. no one will make me feel guilty but, for being but, me. But what happens when they show up to your neighborhood with guns? What happens when they're marching through your streets armed, telling you you can't drive your car through here anymore, and they point rifles at you? So this is the problem. This is what we're seeing up in Portland. And, no, I, and, and it just absolutely. culminated in a very serious incident over the weekend where uh, a guy is critically injured. Four, uh, four others, I think uh, three other. Uh, so there's a total of five people were shot. One died. The, uh, the guy in conflict with Antifa was critically injured. And three other Antifa were, were, were seriously injured, hosp- uh, put in the hospital. I believe they were arrested in the ER. You know, we had um, – I, I know I'm, I've been mentioning it quite a bit in the past few episodes, but – I think it's important. We had Stephen Marsh. He wrote this book. It's up, we have it up there on the wall. Uh, the next civil war. He said this country is a multicultural democracy and a constitutional republic inside at the same time, and, and they can't coexist. He 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 said, you know, you mentioned just now. When how how do we turn that corner? He said, when will you something to the effect of when will you realize you know, in this country like what's happening? 
my view is, you know, what I told him was as a Canadian, you love your socialized health care. Okay. You give that up. You abolish that. We go private. We have peace. Mm-hmm. And he said, point taken. Based on what you are saying about people making you feel guilty for, for being born. When, if someone comes up to me, these, 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 uh, Democrats out of California, they, they wanted to repeal the civil rights language from their constitution. The language that says you cannot discriminate on the basis of race, gender, identity, etc. They said, we want that gone. We want that right. I say no, no compromise. So how do we don't? So anyway, to kind of bring this back to where we were with war and and nuclear weapons and all that stuff, I think our Achilles heel is exactly uh, the right point. When uh, Jesse Kelly today, he's a funny guy. He tweeted that, um, I mean, seriously, but he made a good point. He said, we need a national divorce because um, Democrat voters are polled showing they support what Trudeau was doing with this authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. And the scary thing is I don't think he's wrong, but I think if he's right and we do have a national divorce, Russia walks all over Eastern Europe, takes what it wants. China takes Taiwan. They both expand exponentially. And that's it. We now, as Americans, live under heavy trade restrictions and under the boot of these, uh, mostly China. It wouldn't be the United States necessarily because who knows what would happen to this country, but right. it's not just going to be fighting here. It's going to be us being subjugated by oppressive forces from China, from the Communist Party, from their allies, from Russia, when it comes to trade especially. No, without a doubt. And that, again, that's why our strength, right? We're, we've lost our strength by not being the United States of America. And uh, I mean, this is why Fortitude Ranch exists. This is why we're trying to have 12 ranches across the country so that hopefully you wouldn't have to drive any more than one gas tank. But you've played win. Fallout. Oh, yeah. Video game. How amazing would it be that if in the real world, they weren't vaults, they were fortitude ranches. There you go. <laughs> and there's, there's six, you know, there's 500 of them or whatever. You guys become this major conglomerate corporation. Everybody lines up. You do these uh, spiffy 50s style TV ads or right. come sign up for fortitude. You know, you you got to go somewhere when the bombs drop, right? Yeah. Come well, on down. That, <laughs> as funny as that is, that'd be great on that game you're working on, right? Working Fortitude Tokens instead of uh, caps. Bottle caps. Yeah, instead like of bottle that. caps, right? <laughs> but you guys should have a bunch of bottle caps. That'd be funny. Yeah, that really Just as a, be as, a, funny. as a bit. I know. When, you yeah. sh- when people show up to sign up for the ranch, be like, here's what we used to trade. <laughs> See how many of them get the reference. Oh, I know. <laughs> I wonder if they would. I mean, considering they're familiar with you know, uh, survival camps or fortitude, they might understand the joke. Yeah. And you know, our membership, um, has, has changed over the years. It used to be more of the, along the hardcore prepper type. Uh, but once COVID hit, uh, things started to change, but once civil unrest hit, that changed everything. People, uh, man, they take everything for granted. Absolutely. They, the, the normalcy bias is what really, really gets me. The optimism bias and the normalcy bias. Optimism meaning that people think bad things won't happen and normalcy, they think things can't change. But boy, can they change and they can change fast. Okay. I mean, that's why I point out this, the first civil war in the United States. Nobody thought it was going to happen because yeah. everybody just thinks World you know, War One, too. That just right? happened so fast all of a sudden. Well, One yeah. day it was the world was at peace. The next day, so we, got, guy got assassinated. And we try to be rational about it, right? Last time I was on, it was about a year ago. You asked me what you thought the percentage was of, you know, seeing some real violence as we turned the corner of the election. I said 5%, and you were kind of surprised um, that I would say 5%. But as you saw, see, the things weren't in place. Was it because I thought it would be higher or lower? Higher. I thought it would be higher? Yeah. And the, especially, right, because 
I'm the Fortitude Ranch guy, so right. it would seem like you've got an economic incentive to tell everybody 100. No, exactly, exactly. The run now, be a, right. So we don't play the fear game. I mean, that's not what that what it's about, right? It, and and again, so we as an organization, we stay apolitical so that we could really try to have the right data. We never activated for COVID. We did activate, and that's how you actually invited me to the show for the election. And yeah. that was a give the opportunity for all the new members basically to come bring their supplies and, and get to know them, right? We, it was basically a let's sit and watch the elections kind of get together. We really weren't thinking that it was going to be. And that's another reason why you thought it would probably be higher because we activated for the first time in and, our existence. But I also add, I think you guys got to activate this November. Oh, well, so now here's the thing, right? We haven't even gotten into that. So there's no path, it seems like, going forward. And now things are going to get loonier. You you, me, th- you thought Trump point one was something? Wait for Trump point two. Let me let me pull up this story, which can kick off this bigger conversation on the conflict in the U.S. Because this is actually kind of weird. It's tragic. It's creepy. It's weird. We have this from OPB. Alleged killer in Portland's Normandale Park protest shooting has been identified. They're saying it's a man named Benjamin Jeffrey Smith. He's being identified as a local furry. Oh. Hmm. That Antifa claims is a Nazi because furries have a known Nazi problem. It's very, very strange that this is the story that's coming out. But uh, just in reference to this, 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 this story, the, um, they flat out say Smith's identity was first reported by anti-fascist researchers and the Oregon, uh, Oregonian uh, Oregon Live Smith, uh, and the Oregon Live news outlet. The information we're getting about the shooting is coming from extremists. Huh. How can you trust it? Of course, they're taking quotes from me and they're screaming that I'm lying and all this stuff and Andy No is lying. I, I don't care what these, you know, Twitter Antifa people think because I think they're psychotic, despotic, fascist extremists. When they say that about me, I know they're lying because I know they don't really believe that. We, we, we do a show, like if you look at all the online forums, they refer to me as like a lib- libertarian centrist. You know, I flat out say, leave me alone. I want to, I want to have nothing to do. I get away from the cities. There's no way these people who are in Portland, who are going around with guns, pointing at, pointing at people, threatening people, smashing property, genuinely believe the people running away are the fascists. There's, there's right. no way. They know they're lying. They know that. So I don't care what they think, but this is the, 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 the nature of, of the escalation we've seen. So we had you on just before the election in 2020 because, uh, uh Fortitude Ranch activated. And there was a bunch of stories coming out saying like, you know, survival camp activates, warns their, their members or whatever. This potential for violence. You said it was around 5%. When I talk to people, they have such a normalcy or optimism bias. It can't happen here. I, I, I don't know how, you know, to explain to the people who don't want to believe it. Maybe there are people who just don't want to hear it. It's not about they don't believe it. They do believe it, but they're just like, please no, please no, go away. If I close my eyes and shut, you know, cover my ears, close my eyes, it'll just stop. It'll stop, you know, but it's coming. And I think people need to pay attention to this because we're at the point now where there's a group of Antifa marching through the street, armed, telling people where they can and can't drive. In the past, not even that long ago, a guy was in his truck and they threatened him and he pulled a gun. So they pulled him out of his truck and they beat him. We've seen Aaron Danielson in Portland. He was shot in the twi- uh, shot twice in the chest and killed. Then Bill Barr's DOJ hunted down this guy, Michael Reinel. And they say he got into a shit with him. They killed him. These Antifa people view that as Trump's administration, the MAGA right, the populists engaging in retribution. To me, it does sound a lot like retribution. It doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter which side you're on. It doesn't matter if you think you're right. 
It's just at a certain point, you need to wake up to realize this stuff is happening. It's happening with increasing frequency. And, you know, so, 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 so to escalate this to where we're going now, the, the elections are coming up midterms. The Democrats lose power in, in, in the House and in, in, in the Senate. Then Republicans are going to go off the wall. I don't believe most Republicans will go off the wall. I believe the Trump, MAGA, America First types are going to be like revenge and retribution. And if people go out and vote in the primaries and get in real politicians, not establishment, crony, bad idea, or no idea Republicans, I guess, rhinos, if, if actual new incumbents come in, I'm sorry, new candidates wipe out, push out the incumbents, we might actually see some real action from the Republican Party. But then you're going to see Antifa losing their minds. Then you're going to be getting into 2023, which is a presidential primary season with Donald Trump coming out saying we will win. Antifa is going to go crazy. And then you have 2024, an election year, and then Donald Trump wins. So then what happens? Trump 2.0. Madness. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> utter madness. Okay, madness. So what I'm wondering is, is what level can you take it to next? Because it was already an existential threat, right? Aliens. So where else do you go? And we, I mentioned this <laughs> before we started going on air, right? Maybe that's when we see the aliens come in and calm all this down. Because it, uh, honestly, I, I don't know where you can go other than more of the i mean i'm I'm speaking verbiage right because the way they explained it last time and and interesting enough putin even used that word uh as he explained what was going on uh trying uh existential threat existential threat yes Hmm. and and he used that word it's interesting how it always right gets picked up and passed around and used in so many circumstances uh right it becomes the the phrase of the day but uh, so I, I just don't know how how much more nuttier or how the language can get any more over the top than they'll find a way. Right. Because they truly believe that it's the worst possible thing that can happen. And I remember, you know, back when he was elected and uh, the girlfriend I w- that I was with at the time and she lost her mind. I said, listen, you know how many presidents, administrations I've lived through so far in my lifetime? They come and they go. They come and they go. And the world doesn't end. It's everybody who doesn't come and go in Washington that we're really going to try to do something about. Oh, yeah, the administrative yeah. state, man. They mm-hmm. need term limits. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and then every... People, if you know, I get it. It's so important to you if you haven't lived through a bunch of these. But when I was in school, I was literally taught the next thing coming our way was an ice age. Yeah, that's what I was taught as a kid. I believed it. I thought the next great thing to happen to mankind was an ice age. There's and I've a, lived through all the others of about this. Mm-hmm. There's a great video. Um, I don't have a. I don't know if I can pull it up, but I think it's Carl Sagan talking about the um, the the global cooling. And he's like, scientists believe a great ice age could be coming. <laughs> and it was like from the 70s. You know, and then science changes, right? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, people panic for a lot of different reasons. I think the issue we're facing now is there was a point at which American society hard forked, yeah. split into two distinct entities. For a while, they were close enough together where it was an argument saying like, what are you doing over there? We're talking over here. Now it's so far divided. It's just 
I think I figured you're, out what you're it yelling is. across the chasm. I was thinking, I'm thinking about a lot about this. There's, there's multiple ways to think and to problem solve and to come to conclusions. One of them is the scientific way to do it, which is you acquire evidence over time. And that once you get enough evidence, you can confidently say, this is what I believe is happening. Then there's warfare where you have no information about what the hell is happening. You know that there's artillery firing from over there and there's a machine gun nest. Now you have to make a decision. And people are in the war mind state. They're afraid. They're terrified, probably by design. So they're making these split second decisions without information and acting like these are the spo- these are like solid scientific me- ways to, to to look at things, and they're not. You're you're half. I think you're half right. I think they're lacking information. I think they're in a war mind, but I think it's by choice. We have the story from Axios. Democrats tune out national news during Biden era. Look at this. Democrats just spiked straight down. This is exactly the problem I've talked about with, you know, the Obama activists, the, I'm sorry, the anti-war activists voting for Obama. The moment their guy gets in, they turn off. So now what's happening is Democrats are no longer paying attention to news. They're now below Republicans, but they're still acting on politics. They're still engaging in conflicts. They're still pushing and, and, and they're, they're still active. They're just willfully ignorant now. I think what, like what you said, man, people are, feel like this, this is gonna, th- there's too much emphasis being placed on the political candidate. It's to, to be afraid or to have total faith that your candidate's gonna solve, save the situation is ridiculous. We found that out with Obama turning his back yes. on people. And to think that this candidate's gonna destroy the world is also ridiculous. The system's built around, I mean, I understand an executive can be kind of crazy and can do stupid stuff, but we have, plenty of safeguards no exactly and and so we're we're definitely going to see uh, right so if, if everything seems to play out the way it looks because of the overreach in some of the ridiculousness of how covid has been handled you you probably see you know the democrats getting a good shellacking in the midterms right now the backpedaling is starting they understand they're they're losing the independence the people are really getting sick and tired of this so this is going to unravel to a certain degree then like tim said so that just brings about uh blm and antifa now being in the streets more than what we've seen them over this past time it intensifies and intensifies and then uh, who knows it, it should come to some kind of crescendo for, you know, 2024 in the presidential elections. Well, you're familiar with uh, Strauss' generational theory? Right. Yeah. So um, by 2028 should be the end of the fourth turning. So uh, don't be surprised if I, I believe, we, we, you know, we're in it for around, what, 20 years or so yeah. is when it starts kicking into high gear. And surprise, surprise, that's 2008. The start of mm-hmm. this economic crisis, which escalates dramatically causes look i think the economic crisis really is a, a big uh, precursor to everything we're seeing you get a young generation who can't get find jobs uh, people my age getting out of college all of a sudden unable to work as dishwashers something i experienced i remember i went to a small tiny hole in the wall diner and there was a guy in a suit applying to be a dishwasher for 10 bucks an hour and i'm like some scraggly dude in a beanie like how's just looking for some side cash man this guy needs it more than i do mm. You get these young people who then say, why is my life so bad? And they blame the 1%. This drives them into this this quest for meaning, unable to do work, unable to pursue their passions. That escalates over 10 years with them getting into activism, turning news into activism, putting politics in every corner of every aspect of our lives. And now we're at this point today. 
uh, so eight years after the crisis, you get Donald Trump. Donald Trump being a symptom. People are saying, we're tired of this. We want something to change. The other side, believing Trump was a fascist and literally Hitler, going insane. All of that has continued to escalate. I think Occupy Wall Street. You get the financial crisis, which leads us to, to Occupy Wall Street, which brings the, this critical race theory activism into the fray with all the activists in New York who then engage in violent tactics, black bloc tactics. It escalates. I, I suppose you could even go back further than that and figure out where all this stuff started when they, you know, uh, was a Glass-Steagall gets repealed or whatever, and, and then how this all begins. But I think the big spark, like something broke, 2008. Then what? 2020. The end of this period of strife. A hard time, which is economic crisis, which is political crisis, which is street violence. The night is always darkest before the dawn. But uh, 2024, I think, is going to be bad. I think this year is going to get bad. Already the activism is getting nuts. This story is crazy. I think 2023 is going to get bad. I think 2024 will be worse because Trump will end up as the Republican nominee. What's, what are the Democrats going to do? Biden? I have no idea. 2025. Donald Trump is inaugurated. What do you think January 20th, 2025 is going to look like in D.C.? You think January 6th is bad? Wait till January 20th, 2025 for the second I, inauguration of Donald I, I Trump. I got to say, I, there, I think there's no way Trump is going to even have a chance at being president. I, I'll go on record now. I could be totally wrong. Maybe I'll eat my words. I didn't think he was going to win last time either with Hillary Clinton. Uh, I was shocked. But I, it's like the same kind of surprise attack thing in military. You don't do it twice. They, they're ready for it now. It's going to be total media, uh, what do they call it? What did the Time Magazine article call it? Total the shadow campaign to save fortification. The yeah, the total fortified. media fortification of, uh, their candidate. But I think that's a key factor here. Over the past six years, the por- corporate press has lost a lot of credibility, right? Even with normies? Uh, with Don't me, they have, for sure. Oh, yeah, but you've always kind of been dialed into it. I'm wondering if, like, the average person, well, it seems like even the Democrats are kind of tuning out. Are they going to crank that, crank up their viewing again when uh, it looks like Trump is going to win a second term? Or has the corporate press actually lost some of the credibility that it used to have? I don't know. I, I seem, seems to me like it's crumbled quite a bit. Well, and it's going to really hinge on who's going to be the candidate also democratically, right? I mean, well, let me, yeah. That, that's going to play Andrew a Yang crazy Trump will win prospect. So me, that, that's that's going to be huge. I want to pull up this story. Uh, this is from the Daily Wire. Majority of Democrats back Trudeau's crackdown, freezing bank account of truckers. There's something really important here. Ian was just saying that he doesn't think Donald Trump could win the presidency because they're going to be ready for him, right? Yeah. So uh, using the same strategy twice. The previous context, for those that may have missed it, we're talking about the Freedom Convoy in Canada. We're talking about how Trudeau cracks down. Then the U.S. is planning this convoy. And, and Ian, you were saying that they're going to be ready for the U.S. truckers. So they can't use the same strategy. They're going to be ready for Donald Trump. He can't use the same strategy. But there's one thing that I think does that you may overlook in this in this regard. What if instead of, you know, a thousand or 500 trucks coming to D.C., like in Canada, it was 50,000. Now, it was reported there was 50,000 truckers protesting. I don't think there was that many trucks. I think that was probably misreported. But let's say that D.C. does plan for this and they say we're going to handle it. Five hundred trucks, no problem. But then 50,000 trucks from every angle come in. You can't handle that. There's no planning yeah, for that. That would be but a different me, uh, a different plan. So let me show you this in the story about Democrat support for Trudeau. They say the, the poll shows 55 percent of general election voters disapprove of Trudeau's handling of the protesters. 35% approve. That is to say, the majority of people don't like the, dr- the draconian powers. Or take a look at this. 
Democrats, 65% approval. Republicans, 87% disapproval. And independents, 74% disapproval. That is to say, Republicans say no to Trudeau. Unaffiliated voters say no to Trudeau. It is only the Democrat base that about two thirds support what Trudeau is doing with these draconian powers. This, this, these metrics are reflected in basically everything. When we pull up civics polling data, is the economy good? Independent voters, two to one say no. Republicans, 10 to one say no. Democrats, two to one say it's great. Now, how is that possible? It's an inversion. The fact is, independent voters and Republicans, the plurality of uh, the majority of people in this country do not live in the crackpot cult reality that the Democrats live in. So if Donald Trump does run again, they can plan any shadow campaign or whatever fortification they want. But when 10 times as many people are storming through the gates, no amount of planning will stop that man. Yeah, the, the independence there is really important because that's your proxy, right? I mean, those are the people that aren't really affiliated. I mean, if, if, if they're siding with the Republicans, I mean, not even siding with them, but if that's the way they're they, perceiving reality. Right. But you're, ta- but this is, the, all these represent the chasm, right? The chasm that we're talking about. It's, we kind of forked at a certain point cu- culturally in this country and the chasm is just so great. You might try to holler at somebody way over there and it's just like, what's well, the point? I mean, they're not even going to understand the language that I'm speaking right now. Mm. You know, yeah, that's, that's scary. But, but to your point, like, the, I don't know how we're going to remedy that cultural problem that we're experiencing. The chasm's just too wide. I think that that's, no. that's making me think of that mentality, that combat mentality versus the scientific mentality. And so many people are in combat mentality that if you try and speak to them scientifically with like facts and evidence, they don't get it. It's too yeah. big of a deal for them to think about. They got to act now. This is, it's like life or death to these people. So if you can understand that, before you start communicating with them and the, for them, it's a big deal. Maybe for you, it's not. I mean, obviously I'm not freaked out by this stuff, but if you understand there, it's same with saying, talking with a kid too. If you understand why something's such a big deal to them, it's a lot easier to communicate with them about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. R- rapport building is, is the first strategy in, in persuasion. Yes. So absolutely. if you approach someone as an enemy or as an other, they are less likely to trust you. They fear you. So if you're trying to actively build bridges in the political conflict, you have to approach your political enemies or your political rivals as one of them. It's a very difficult thing to do. I I, I got to throw it to uh, Daryl Davis, though, and say I think we're beyond that, unfortunately. We can certainly try. I'm not saying never, you know, right. give up. But that story about Daryl Davis, he's the guy who, who de-radicalized those clan members. The black jazz music, musician de-radicalizes clan members. But when he tried to talk with Antifa outside of the event we booked him for, they wouldn't talk to him. Yeah, he directly confronted the mob, and that's that's but, a hard, that's a big ask. I've never successfully confronted a mob and, and come out at the winner. But confront maybe is the wrong word. He just said, Addressed I, wa- the he mob. Said, I want to talk to them. Yeah. He walked across the street, and they started yelling at him. Mobs. And they, they called him a Nazi and other you know, white supremacist, and he was like, I just want to talk, guys, and they wouldn't do it. Something similar might have happened, though, if he was trying to address, like, a Clan rally. Though, no, right? he's done like, that. He's done but, that. But it started at the individual level, right? It was no, just, like, no. one guy and then he another guy. He showed up yeah. to Clan rallies. He right. went to Clan rallies and walked up to people and talked to them. And he posted about how never he never experienced what he did with Antifa. When he, when, when he went to Clan rallies, they were like, what's this guy doing here? And he yeah. said, you know, he started talking to people. And they started talking with him. And they told him all of their racist ideas. And he said, okay. Just wondering what you were thinking. And then after a long enough period of time, they realized they were wrong and their, their racist ideas weren't correct. With Antifa, he walks up and they scream at him. They wouldn't even let him talk. Yeah, they want to fight. They're there to fight. So it's a it's, more it's, poisonous it's, ideology than racism even. 
Oh, I certainly think so. You must I, be. I think the issue with racism is that it's, it's, it's incorrect and can lead people towards dangerous policy and violence. The far left extremism is inherently on, on, on step one of the hopscotch is be extreme and destroy. Mm. Racism is you, you don't like people for stupid reasons. It escalates from there. Mm. Antifa on the far left starts with violent revolution. I hate that burn it all down mentality. It's so stupid. Like it, yeah. Why would you ever destroy what we've created before you have a new thing to do? What the? It's, well, it's a 12 it's year old's so mentality. Sh- yeah. It's so very short sighted. Immature, right? Yeah, so right. it's extremely <laughs> immature. Yeah. And it's extremely, you know, short sighted. And so now, you know, like I said, no one's going to make me feel guilty for being born. I wouldn't yeah. have chose my parents. Love them. Um, take take a take a bunch of ten year olds, take thirty ten year olds, and put them in charge of uh, an office building and see what happens. This is <laughs> this is what's happening right now. Good times make weak men. We're in the fourth turning. We're in the period of weak men who have made hard times. Although I'm thinking I mean now, figuratively, because women are involved. I'm thinking scorched earth now because that's a military tactic. So if these people really are in combat mind state then the scorched earth tactic is on the table. Like if someone's invading your city and you can't defend it properly, you burn the entire city to the ground and retreat so that when they get there, they don't have a city to pillage. And so maybe that's what these people are doing. I think, you know, what you see with Antifa. I don't think Antifa, it's even that thought through that far. To tell you. Mm. There, there, there is a, um, it's a, it's a rudimentary plan. It's there. Antifa in Portland, they, everything they do serves their purpose, their goal, Right. If they go out in the streets with guns and say, do as you're told, and you do, they win. If you resist them and there's chaos and fighting, you're destroying the system, they win. It's what they want from the ashes of the old, they shall build anew. It's what they said during Occupy Wall Street. I was told during Occupy, they said, the organizer said, we want to flip the pyramid over. And I said, how would that make sense? If you flip the pyramid over, you have one brick on the bottom? No. The pyramid crumbles and forms a crappy or crumbly pyramid. And they're like, right. And we're on the bottom now. And when you flip it over and the bricks tumble down, we'll be the ones on top. That was their view. Their view was not to create a better world where the working class were all equal and wealthy. It was that if you flip the pyramid over, some of the poor people will take control and be in charge. Mm -hmm. The rest are going to fall down the side of the pyramid in the avalanche of rocks and get crushed. That's right. We're we're definitely in payback mode, right? This is... We're, Payback we're, for what? For who? The Federal it's, Reserve. The idea of how they've been wronged and why we are so systematically racist and this and that. Fascist. Yes. And so when you, if you're in payback mode, then you're not being rational and you'll get these type of ideas and it seems self-fulfilling. It, it Again, but it's so emotionally based. Yeah, people that are willing to die for their cause are very dangerous. Yes. But these people also have no sense of history. They don't know what happened in Cuba, or either that or they're ignorant about it. I was just so funny. I was just listening the other day to an interview with uh, Andy Garcia, the actor. And I had no idea he was from Cuba, and his family fled from there when he was five and a half years old. 
And the interviewer was asking him, was just like, so what was that like? You, you fled from Cuba? I mean, what was going on? And the way that he describes Cuba that he fled from is just like hair raising. <laughs> he was just like, well, you know, the, we, we were told there were going to be public schools and the revolution was going to bring everybody happiness. And the public schools weren't really schools. They were just indoctrination camps and all the children, you know, there was no God and they praised Che Guevara and they praised Fidel. And he's just like, like point by point laying out exactly what happened. Even when he went back in the nineties and they, he was just like, I just wanted to visit my homeland and they turned it into this propaganda campaign saying that I, you know, was supported the revolution. And it was just, it was really uh, eye-opening hearing there, him talk there, about that when we're living in 2022. There's um, a clip that the left likes to put around, uh, push push out there, where at the end of the Joe Rogan podcast with Twitter, the the mics stayed on. So Joe is like, all right, everybody, that was great. And he stands up and it shows the Rogan symbol and you can still hear everything. And Vijay Agade of Twitter says, I want to follow up on that Antifa account. And I said, it's bit.ly slash Antifa tweet or something like that. And then she says, you know, what was this account or whatever? And I responded with, I don't want to give you information on specifics so that you can go and ban people because I'm here. Basically saying, I don't think you should be doing anything on my behest. They cut that part out and claim that Twitter colludes with the far right to ban Antifa and support fascists and everything. It is insane how people fall for this and believe it. And it's, it's maddening. And it's sad because there are people who will hear that clip and be like, wow, it must be true. That's it. That's mm-hmm. the, I, the combat mentality. I mm. was I was talking to um, a few uh, good friends of the show and they mentioned Dave Rubin saying something stupid. They were like, oh, but Dave, man, he said that thing. And I was like, what did he say? And they're like, he said something about and I can't remember exactly what the quote was. And then I said, wow, you actually were talking to him and he said this to you. They were like, no, but we saw it on Twitter. And I was like. Was he quoting someone else? And they're like, I don't know. It was a short clip some activist posted. And I was like, so why do you believe it? So so Dave Rubin could have been quoting someone else and someone took a a clip of this and claimed he said it. Why would you believe that? Mm -hmm. It's crazy that even people who are aware of the tactics of the machine still fall for it too. Yeah, I did um, train myself out of it with the Nick Sandman thing when he got confronted mm. or when he confronted yeah, got yeah, confronted yeah. i i initially got angry and i was about to yell out that was the first time i kind of stopped and thought about maybe there's something more to this uh and then but it was like it wasn't like one day i just stopped freaking out about information i had to learn so i'm still to this day mm-hmm. stuff will appear and i'm like false flag remember false flag totally. remember keep your mind open yeah that, again that's why i have no social platform whatsoever i, I stay <laughs> i stay smart as far away from that as i can i mean obviously it wasn't part of my generation having a cell phone until i was 30 because they weren't around right my first one i had was in belarus yeah. and uh, interestingly enough because it's such a small country it was awesome because they could put cell towers around everywhere and it was really good but so i didn't grow up with it, it wasn't part of it but i absolutely detest the fact that you can get so inundated and so caught up in it that it will, it's not profitable. I try to be profitable, you know, with my time and my energy. Yeah. I'll have such a good, I'll be in such a great state of mind. I'll be thinking about good stuff. And then I'll, sometimes I'll get on Twitter and I'm like, what the, this stuff is so negative. It's so niche. It's usually about like Biden or like about politics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I follow a lot of people that come on the show and that's what we talk about, but it's like so niche. It's not like reality as it is. It's just a part no. of like, the game. I gotta, I gotta give you some advice, man. I'm triggering Tim right look, now. Look That's at, like... look at who I follow. You, you can go on Twitter and pull up my account and look at who I follow. 
And so there's a good amount of activists. There's pundits. There's left-wing and right-wing pundits. And mostly news organizations. What's happening to a lot of people is that they'll go on Twitter and they'll follow 300 far-left activists. So their whole worldview is filtered by the far-left. Or they'll go on and follow 300 right-wing pundits and their whole worldview is filtered through right-wing pundits. I, 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 I use my Twitter mostly as a tool. I post nonsense. I often just, you know, post things that like, you know, trigger people or whatever. You know, I tweeted today, um, was it today that, uh, Putin was scared of Trump. Yeah. Boy, did the left go nuts on that one. (laughs) And, uh, but mostly who I'm following is like news sources, left and right. Some, some are politically active. Some aren't. A lot of journalists. You'll, you'll, you'll see in my following count, like some professors and some journalists. My worldview is not crafted by partisans. It is, it is, I have, I have a, 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 a balanced, you know, because I want to see what the left is saying. Sure. No, for what you do, it makes total sense. Right. But what, but what we're getting is journalists only follow the left. Conservatives follow both. So you'll tend to see conservatives understand the left. The left doesn't understand conservatives. That's why the Democrats support Trudeau and independent voters, Republicans don't probably because Democrats don't watch the news, have no idea what he's done. But if you went to the average Democrat voter and said Trudeau seized the bank account of a single mother who works as a waitress, because when the when the convoy was was first just driving on the road, she gave 50 bucks. They'd be like, well, that's crazy. But because they don't pay attention, they support authoritarianism and therefore wouldn't believe you. Right. Right. They'd say. mm -hmm. So this is what, you know, my friends are telling me. They're like they say like good friends of mine from back from back home. They say when I try telling my parents, they say it's a conspiracy theory. And then I, and, and they're, they're like, you know, Tim, like you, you've known him. He used to hang out here. It's he's the one who's talking about it. like, ah, he's wrong. I watch CNN. There's I met, when I was in L.A., I was such a like a closet leftist. I was just blatantly like socialism. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> and there's this mentality of like, leave me alone. Let me just live my life, man. I want the government. Social services are nice because if I need food stamps, like I'm with the actors. And it's so close minded and oblivious to live like that. To think that what you have in America is is like the way things are. Like this is a result of military conquest. It's not a joke. And now there's problems that are arising because of that conquest. Also not a joke. So your luxury is tentative at best. Get your mind in the game. I need you. Let's go to Super Chats. If you have not already, you must. I implore you. Honk that like button. Give it a good honk. Give it a good smash. A little thumbs up. Help support the show. Subscribe to this channel and share it with your friends if you really do like it. Go over to TimCast.com. Become a member. We're going to have a members-only podcast coming up around 11 or so p.m. So you're not going to want to miss that. But most importantly, as a member, you're helping support all of our journalists who write news every single day at TimCast.com. Not to mention the investigation. We have investigations into uh, – we have a book coming out. Ghosts of the Civil War in looking for the lost Confederate gold. We're getting threats, apparently. Oh, I've heard them. They're bad. Yeah. <laughs> They're really so, bad. So uh, our, our, it's not even like a political, it's not even like po- political reporting, but our, our, uh, our, our I, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but let's just say that people who are, who know about the lost Confederate gold are getting upset that we've been digging into it. So yeah. after the Civil War, the Confederates, you know, yeah, yeah. shuffled off their gold. So. I was thinking as kind of like a fun adventure. I didn't think it was going to be so serious, but mm. dude, someone apparently died. Anyway, mm. um. support our work over at TimCast.com. <laughs> let's read these super chats. All right, let's see. 
The master of violence says Ian Crossland is every member of the band Blind Melon in the music video <laughs> for No Rain. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. What's up now? Do they all look like you or something? I think the lead singer. <laughs> yeah. Do they yeah, all want hair? Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. All right. Let's see. Joe Harshbarger says, Steve, please, please start a ranch in Nebraska. Wide open spaces in the land of the good life. Absolutely. Hey, listen, we'd, we'd love to build 10, 15 more. Um, very expensive to do. And this mm-hmm. is why we, you know, we're constantly looking for investors, especially if you have a particular region in mind, because that so speeds up the process to be able to do something like that. Kind of like franchising? Well, I mean, it'd still be part of Fortitude Ranch, but our Texas one exists because somebody donated the land and had the ability to help financially because, you know, you've seen it out in West Virginia. I mean, it takes like a million dollars to do it right. Yeah. And so it, you know, we're, we're constantly, it's part of what I do as COO. Reach out looking for investors. Love to do it. Do you have any plans for like um, community building exercises and events or anything like that? Yeah, we have training coming up in May. Um, so this will be survival training uh, as we go through and, and try to help prepare our members. We do want to do it for non-members as well. For those who would looking uh, would like to do that for a fee, um, you know, we just we certainly want to help our you know our members specifically, but we do want to branch out. And this is part again, like I was mentioning with with survival housing, with the counseling and the ability to help with uh, with housing solutions. Is we know we can't get it. Not everybody's going to be able to join, right? But it, so if you're looking to do something separately, that's what we're looking to help with. Also. I just I'm just thinking how amazing it is it's going to be like on a, on a nice, cool spring night. You know, you're, you're going throughout the day. You're learning all these important survival skills, but you're hanging out. You're having a good time. Oh, and it really is a great weekend. Food. We go out yep. to eat. Right. So it starts on a Saturday at eight o'clock. We we have some 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 a PowerPoint. Right. To give you the instruction for the things you're going out to do, like if you're going to train at the ranch. Uh, on the firing range, yeah, firing range, right? And then we we do land navigation, show you how to we we uh, read maps. We fired a Barrett M eighty two over at the at the ranch, fifty yeah. fifty BMG. Ooh. Yeah, that was, that was fun. It was. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Well, uh, it was amazing that you guys hit something because you didn't have a scope, right? We, we, no, we had iron sights. Right. Scope. Well, but not a scope. I mean, <laughs> that's not easy to do. I mean, that's right. all I'm saying. Well, so uh, if if you know, for those that are interested, you know. Survival training, community building, hanging out with like-minded people and learning some skills. That sounds pretty fun, man. So yeah, maybe, maybe you guys will get some, uh, you'll get more up and running. Let's read some more super chats. Sure. All right. Neo Jade says, Tim, you don't believe it's possible that Cabal is running things? What do you need? A Times article de- detailing exactly that? <laughs> Ian natched it. All the chat when Ian said that was like 20. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. Like, but, but I'll, I'll clarify what I mean is, you know, I don't think that Biden walks into the Great Hall on some island with all these other leaders and then they're like – they've got pictures of Epstein on the wall and they're just like, you know, Klaus Schwab walks in and says, now you will all do as you are told. Ha-ha. I think birds of a feather flock together. I think all of these world leaders meet in Davos. They meet at the, at, at, you know, at the UN or the G7, the G20. They all think similarly. They all hang out with each other. It's like if you go to a skate park. And you see 10 skateboarders all from different parts of the city. They're going to be speaking the same language, using the same jargon, and wanting the same things. It doesn't mean it's organized. It just means that they've 
effectively formed. That, that, that's, yeah. the way, that's, that's what I mean. They right? all know right. that if it happens in your country, it can happen in my country. So they're like authoritative. Well, what, what I mean together. is like, you know, there's a skateboarder from the north side, a skateboarder from the south side, a skateboarder from the east and west sides, and they're all at one skate park. They're saying the same words. Yo, dude, just did a nollie flip crook, big spin out. That was sick. And they all know what it Yo, means. Oh, build back though, better, bro. Exactly. They're all <laughs> saying the same thing because when they go drink. So, so there's something called the journo list. It was where journalists were on message boards, private message boards with each other in New York. So what would happen is one journalist would post a story. They'd all see it. And then all of a sudden, every outlet would publish the same story. It wasn't because there was a cabal intentionally trying to control things. It was because journalists were like, I'd like to hang out with journalists. Oh, in this situation, and I just s- naturally emerged. Right. It was an emergent phenomenon. I believe there's a cabal that is literally trying to control things, just so, just so everyone's <laughs> clear. <laughs> no, I certainly think that's... Uh, I don't I, know if I, they're I succeeding think, or not, but it seems like they are I think trying the, to. the Davos group wants to control yeah. things. I think, but I, but I don't think like... When Biden said build back better... When I heard those words come out of his mouth, I was like, oh, okay, it's been, it's been co-opted. But, but Boris Johnson accused him of stealing it. What the? And Biden's a plagiarist. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's, what it's, it's, if what, he what, stole it? He did. From the, from the World Economic yeah, Forum. No, and why, he's a, Biden's he's not a plagiarist, right? We, we, he, he yeah, apologized he, for plagiarizing. He had, to, he had to drop out of the 1988 presidential election because he got caught plagiarizing. So the simple solution is that Biden is a plagiarist. It was 88. And in Europe, in the EU, they all use the same. Look, I, I absolutely think Klaus Schwab has plans. I absolutely think he's publicly stated he wants to get people in these cabinets. I think he is a dangerous, evil individual. I'm just saying... I don't imagine that Biden calls up Klaus Schwab and says, what's the plan? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think they just all hang out and all share the same ideas and then act accordingly. Yeah, so it makes it, more it, sense. Oligarchy as opposed to a top down from Klaus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Rob Matt says, do you plan on making a TimCast.com app? I'd like to stop using my browser to watch the after show podcast. Yes, um, we are. It's currently being made being made right now. And um, for those that are wondering, if you use Brave, the Brave browser, you can actually listen to the podcast while your screen is off. Because hmm. um, I think, that, um, pretty sure Brave allows that. All right, let's get to more of these super chats. Fell says, I have many friends in Ukraine. I wish them much love. Seriously. Ukraine's amazing, man. There was actually a period where I was like, I wonder if I could live there because it's so cheap for an American to live there. Inexpensive. Inexpensive is a better way to put it. And, um, people who have foreign revenue who live there, they live, they live very, very well. So they're, they're Ukrainians who get jobs as programmers and make six figures US in a country where you only need, you know, a thousand bucks a month, you know, to, to get lunch and to pay for rent and everything like that. So they live very, very well, relatively. Cortos, uh, Corto Maltese says, Tim, why do you say the US versus Russia, US versus China? You do know that the entirety of Europe would oppose Russia and Taiwan and Japan and India would oppose China, right? The world could defend itself without the U.S. I hear you. Yep, absolutely. I just think as an American, seeing Joe Biden say these things, it's what the U.S. is in conflict with. I certainly think other countries would have conflict as well, which is why we talk about World War III. Jason says, I received the Go Truck Yourself shirt. Love it. Go Tim and Castle Crew. Honk, honk. Nice. Yeah, we have a a shirt over at TimCast.com. says, Go Truck Yourself. Go truck yourself to DC. All right. The happy holistic says, did you hear Putin's speech? He said they only want that part of Ukraine that was Russia's as a buffer against NATO. The communists gave it away and he rebuked communism while the West has embraced it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Did he really say that? Mm, That's bold. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, in that 
capacity. I don't know if he's wrong. I used to think like I was just terrified. I was like, oh, he's a dictator. He's evil. But in a way, I think that he's holding on to Russia so that some psycho doesn't take control and then go full woke. He's like I, the last vestige of freedom on earth. Is that, could that even be possible that it was Putin all along? Red, white, and blue? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Captain says, Ian, the U.S. had B-1 and B-2 aircraft. China and Russia have been trying to replicate the capabilities of them for decades now. B-52 are for dropping fun police on dudes on horseback that have no anti-air. Iran's got a lot of anti-air, though. But um, I think I think people need to realize uh, when it comes to war, you know, we got bombs, we got people, we got technology, but they've got cyber capabilities, China and Russia, and they've got propaganda capabilities, mm. the future of warfare. If you got all the nukes in the world, but your country is crippled by civil conflict, you can't fire them. They may as well be useless. You may as well not have yeah, them. Yeah, and I mean, Russia has, you know, not the same quantities as far as uh, what we have in the best of the equipment, but they have awesome, you know, air defense. They get hypersonic missiles now at this point. I mean, they're no slouch. Don't get me wrong. I looked. I think China has about 500 nuclear warheads and that they're expected to have a thousand of them in 10 years. That's right. That was big news that China was um, rapidly building new uh, silos. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, they, of course. You know. All right. Excited says Tim gets mad at Ian for talking about mixing household items. Tim also gives a rundown on taking down power plants. I didn't say how <laughs> they were taken down. I said ten years ago there was a a flaw publicly disclosed. All right. Love you guys. All right. Michael Adkins Thanks says for Clinton. Paying attention. That's right. <laughs> says uh, uh, Michael Adkins says Clinton grad was part of Germany where Immanuel Kant was born. Is that true? Yeah. How, how did how did it come to be that this little pocket exists? Because when the end of World War II, when everybody was dividing everything up, they made sure that Russia, keep, yeah, they very smart. smart they wanted access forward. to the Baltic Sea. Absolutely. <laughs> man, they planned ahead. Yeah. Huh? Russia, doing Russia stuff, man. Mister Physics says, "Here's the messed up part, guys. Putin is 100 percent correct. All of the Baltics, besides Poland and Lithuania, from like 860 to 1991." The Cleven line was destroyed by the Mongols and gave rise to Muscovy. All the Baltics, what were, were Russia? I know that, uh, Kiev was the capital of Russia, what, in like a thousand eighty or something? How about yeah. how, how far you want to go back? Right, exactly. To the cavemen? And we gotta, <laughs> is that right? Wait, there's the original lines of demarcation. I mean, you know. Right. Yeah, the Rus exactly. princes took this land from someone else. Right. Yep. Let's see what we got here. John says, uh, John Hutto says, Odessa is heavily Russian and Moldova is very sympathetic. Could he create a new Moldova inside Russia? What do you think? I mean, it's, it's possible. Again, they don't underestimate the effects of the Russification and, and how people feel a connection in, in uh, you know, certain parts yeah. of what used to be the former Soviet Union. Uh, speaking of Moldova, I have a piece of Moldavite. This is a little off, oh, cool. off topic. This is a volcanic glass. Or no, this is from an asteroid impact. And then it creates this green glass found in Moldova. I think this is found in Moldova. Yeah. Cool. Soleil Cucumber says, Biden says he can tolerate just the tip. <laughs> I don't believe him. Well. Prove it. There you go. <laughs> no. <laughs> Micah says, Tim, I think the police in Canada are being controlled by an inhibitor chip like the clones on Star Wars. Just a thought. That's the only way to explain it, right? Yeah. When they stood there all I, silent. No, uh, there's leaked messages where they're laughing about trampling a woman on ho- with their horses. Wow. 
Like an old lady was on a mobility scooter and they trampled over her on a horse and they're gloating and laughing about the injuries. I, I, I will say conservatives are getting a cold splash of water in the face on this one mm. with these cops just brutalizing conservatives. They've been doing it now for some times. The moment conservatives start protesting, like, wait a minute, the cops are beating us. We're the ones who supported them. So like, yeah, they don't care. The royal police, man. Yeah, that's why, look, um, I remember when Attila's gym was getting shut down and the cops were there and the guys that tell us, Jim, like, we're going to have them on. But they were saying, uh, uh, don't blame the cops. They're just doing their job. And I'm like, what? Those mm-hmm. cops don't got to come and shut you down. They could leave. The, the first cops from the, from that town did. They, they were did like, leave, yeah. have a nice day. Then, then they pulled in cops from other cities who came in and said, we don't live here and we don't care. And brought the boot to people's necks. There was a uh, counterpoint to what's going on in Canada. There was this one trucker on the Daily Mail. He said uh, they were as dumb as a bag of hammers. They acted like Keystone cops. Hmm. Trucker guy, Meister, fifty-three, dumber than a bag That's of hammers. What's the hammers? Yeah, Keystone wow. cop. Key, Keystone what does cops. That mean exactly. There were these old like uh, black and white reels of the cops oh, yeah, that yeah, were like really stupid. And they Charlie were like Chaplin you know, days. Yeah, I just yeah. watched a really interesting documentary, which I found out some. It was really uh, worth watching. Oh, um, Keystone Film Company, nineteen twelve to nineteen seventeen. Yeah, it all has the Charlie Chaplin nice. was. Uh, it was an amazing story, but that's where that comes from. Anyway, point being, this one guy said that the cops are too stupid to be able to do their job right. Huh. At least the ones that arrested wow. him and zip tied him in five degree weather for thirty minutes. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Alex Jones was right, says Tim, you've said before social media tends to become right wing. And now the world seems to be coming right wing. Thanks to the Internet in what uh, in what some call the Great Awakening. Could this be the reason for the Great Reset? No, I don't think so. I think the Great Reset is very specific plan by powerful international elites. And uh, like Klaus Schwab, he just comes out and says all this stuff. So, you know, the World Economic Forum. Davos group, they've got plans there. But I do think the expansion of the internet has allowed uh, meritocracy to rapidly expand. If you look at what this show is, when this show started, when, when I started working on YouTube, even before this show, nobody gave me money. Nobody came to me and said, here's, here's an investment and here's access to advertisement. I just started a YouTube channel and started making content. I did better and better. People liked it. They shared it. Organic growth. There was zero advertising involved in any of this. No, zero marketing. It was just organic growth based on what we put together and constantly improving and doing a better job. And journalists right now, though, they'll get out of college. They'll have no skills. They'll apply and be hired by NBC News, which has an existing platform, and be given a megaphone. There's no meritocracy. The reason I think the Internet makes things more right wing is because meritocracy is ends up flourishing due to it before before the internet if you wanted access you had to get a job at a, you had to go through a gatekeeper but you also had to speak their language like i was locked out of hollywood because i wouldn't bow and you were locked out of univision i think it was univision right they just golden hand- they hired me they golden handcuffed you one of those companies disney yeah, or well, something the first the first six months they were like you're doing great and then as soon as they decided to get woke i said no yeah, and they went okay real well, merit then, can't you know. function in weird corporate autocracy where it's all about speak party line like merit um emerges independently. I had a really good idea for a video game that I pitched to Vice and to ABC because they were like, we'd be interested in pursuing, you know, production. And the idea was to do a, um, an online game where once a week an apocalyptic scenario happens. Oh, I would love to. I was just playing seven days to die last night. I would love to do something like this. So here's the idea. You play the game Monday through Thursday. You collect items, you run around, you do whatever, or you don't. Friday, 
around 7 p.m., an apocalyptic scenario happens, an alien invasion, a flood, volcanic eruption, zombie apocalypse, military dictatorship. And then the goal is survive the weekend or, you know, survive the scenario. Maybe it would only be for like three hours. And then data would process the next day. Sunday, they would release. Here's how people responded to the crisis. So if it was like uh, an alien invasion, it would be like 73% of players hid in the basement. 3% of players went on rampages. You know, 1% peacefully walked up to the aliens. If it's a zombie apocalypse, it would like break down. Here's how we analyzed player behavior when this scenario was presented to them. So it's like, it, it would just be an open world game, kind of like a GTA until the scenario every Friday night. Or maybe it's Sunday night would be better. Or maybe. Monday morning. What, what's good news? No, people are working. Good for news, yeah. Monday morning, we could re- we could release the data. That was the plan. And um, they, I mean, they were all like, wow, these are, these are great. I think if, uh, maybe it's a game we'll make now that we have the ability to do so. But in the company, they have no obligation to make a game they have no experience in making. And a lot of people there were like, it's a good idea. We'll explore this. But uh, what you were saying about meritocracy not working there, it doesn't work there because... They're, they're all following a path. They're all told, do task A, B, C, D. What I propose deviates from that path. So they ignore it. Never. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen. You know, I told Vice and Fusion. I said to Vice in 2013, all of your personalities should have YouTube channels. Yes. You should hire producers for them who film them at their desks talking about the news stories and what they're passionate about. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to do that. And imagine how big it would have been. It would have been huge, dude. Well, I mean, look what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I told Fusion the same thing. And they were, Fusion actually said, oh, give it a shot. See what you can do. And I said, sure. And it worked. I mean, it worked moderately well. I was producing stuff for my own channel, but it wasn't exactly what, uh, what I had pitched. It could, have been, it could have been so big for them. And now look at all these big YouTubers. They're not the journalists. They could have listened to me. They didn't want to. That disaster game is awesome, man. It could mm-hmm. be a good analytic to, learning tool of human psychology if it's like a free. Yeah, you could AGPL3. do you, you could do COVID as long like as Friday night. All of a sudden, right? everyone gets a respiratory disease and start dropping dead. If That's it's a dope. proprietary game, that might suck because no, then Facebook gets the data. Yeah, yeah. Make it like a human learning tool. We we my, the idea was to create a base game that was open to community modification through some kind of democratic process. And we would need the assistance of the community for planning and preparing scenarios. So there could be like cool scripted events where like at 7 p.m. all of a sudden in the game sirens go off and then all the TVs and all of the video game storefronts turn on. And it's like the president, Trump or Biden or whoever. Mm. And they're like martial law lockdowns happening now. And then you see troops being deployed all throughout the cities. And how do you play that game? What do you do if the goal is to survive? Right. And then if you win, you get a bonus or something. It's you know. crazy, dude. That'd like, be fun, game. Cannibal- awesome. I wonder what people would do cannibalism in the video game. Because it's mm. a video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need food and stuff. We were like, you'd have to survive. So like, you need- it'd only be for a few hours. But like, the Great Flood would be funny. Because people who are on the ground running around and driving around would get wiped In their out basement. Instantly. They're like, my yep. basement is fully stocked. And people would be like, I'm going to hide in <laughs> yeah. my, my, my house. And then all of a sudden it fills with water and you lose. And the people who are on skyscrapers got lucky. And it would just be like 83% of players were on the ground and died. And you'd be like, oh, come on. Some people would be in boats. You know, so that's, that's one idea. Anyway, we should, we should read, we should read some more of these. Patrick C said, Ian is rolling double twenties all night. Double deuce. Yeah. Let me wow. just shout out this t- awesome 20 sided die again. Just received today from Sir, very, very beautiful. Amazing. What up? And yes, you are right, sir. Thank you very much. All right. We had a good one. I just missed it. Where did it go? Buck Erst, uh, Buck Rust says, first time super chat resident, resident of Frederick, Maryland. 
During the mandate, we never complied. Grocery store was fine. No one bothered us. But Five Below Toy Store called the police. What? what? Wow. That's mm. weird. Five Below Bizarre. called the cops. That's... The mandate was in, when in fact for like a month. <laughs> it was the so most weird. It was the weirdest thing. They were like, we're doing a mandate. And then I guess when no one listened, they were like, oh, we're not going to do the mandate anymore. Yeah. Literally mm-hmm. on the first day they brought it back. I went to Barnes and Noble and we were like, we're not going to wear masks. We're going to see if anyone says anything. No one said a thing. The whole time this mandate was back, that's insane that that store called the police. That's mm-hmm. wild. Frankie Sherratt says, Tim, how is the new baby chick? It was awesome to see that on Cast Castle. If you go to YouTube.com slash Cast Castle, we, we have a video of one of a, a baby chick hatching. In fact, two hatched. Two. The other one came out? Yeah. I was giving it love last night. It came out? I went down at two that's in the morning advice. sending love and health and come, I'm, you're, I'm here with totally you. Totally healthy. Popped out. Yes. Happy, happy as can be. And now we got 22 more eggs in the incubator. We are rapidly expanding this year, Chicken City. All right. All right. Joe Masonick says, I noticed Tim started building on Ian's comments recently. It's definitely a plus four to Ian's dice rolling and oh. makes the show better. Keep up the good work, everyone. Oh, snap. Well, I got to be honest. It's because Ian is rolling more 20s. <laughs> if Ian rolls well a one, I'm going to be like, no, no, yeah. no. That's why Tim's in my party. Because he's honest. <laughs> No, Ian's been rolling some 20s. I mean, even people people were saying I was the one who rolled the one when you said the Cabal was controlling the planet. Oh, the Cabal. <laughs> That's a good conversation. They were like, Tim, you're wrong. There is a Cabal. I'm like, all right, all right. All right, everybody. All right, let's just, uh, we'll grab uh, some more Super Chats here. Brian Wisecarver says, I'm at the beginning of the People's Convoy coordinating incoming donations in California. We're leaving tomorrow. I've emailed pitches at timcast.com t- uh, to communicate with you guys. Send an email to spintheufo at gmail.com if you could. Can you look for that? I will. And that's uh, Brian Wisecarver. And then we're, we're trying to coordinate some kind of uh, coverage of the, of the U.S. convoy. Checking right now. Yeah. Sean Jock says, have you looked into local building codes for constructing earth ships and passive housing in the survival housing communities? Yeah, one of the things we actually try to do is uh, build in areas that have uh, less of the bureaucratic uh, part of things as far as, you know, like out in West Virginia, there is no building code. So, I mean, obviously we stick to standard, you know, measures for safety of everybody involved through the things that we build. But uh, when you're talking survival, though, you know, it's all about location, location, location. So you don't have to have necessarily an underground bunker if you're where you have your location has a good defensible, you know, area. This is a good one. Garhant says, how are you going to prevent sectarian violence in the ranch? It's not impossible for Biden collapsing the world. And how many members will have Biden bumper stickers? Might want blue, red ranches. No, actually, so what happens is this, this kind of happens organically. I couldn't really choose a better, you know, I don't know every member in all the other locations, but in West Virginia, it, it, it's an amazing combination of folks. Now, we don't vet, we don't ask you what your political affiliation is, anything like that. But people who tend to gravitate towards wanting to be a member, they tend to be of like-mindedness. And so we really don't have um, that as a major situation. But one of the key things is I try to spend as much time as I can getting to know the members, allow them to get to know me. And uh, a key to why some of these who try to do it on their own, it falls apart because there is no leadership where there's clear lines of leadership, you know, at every uh, ranch. That's why we only hire former law enforcement or military. And by the way, we're looking to hire uh 
again since we've expanded. So what roles uh, as ranch manager, or and we have a position for assistant ranch manager. And so if people want to reach out to FortitudeRanch.com and uh, reach out to manager at FortitudeRanch.com, we'll be collecting those resumes and reaching out to folks. Cool. Right on. Right on. Cool, man. Well, how about this, everybody? Head over to TimCast.com. Become a member. We're going to have that member segment coming up. Uh, as a member, you're supporting all of our journalists, and we greatly appreciate it. It's how we fund the operation. It's our principal source of, uh, of, of funding, the memberships from our website. So we're going to get to recording that special segment for all of you guys. So don't forget to smash the like button, subscribe to this channel. You can follow us on Instagram at TimCastIRL, where we post clips. You can follow our TimCast Clips channel for shorter, couple-minute segments. That's on YouTube. You can follow me at TimCast basically anywhere. Uh, Steve, you want to mention anything more specifically? The yeah, website, well, hiring? I, I do uh, want to mention about Survival Housing since this is the new startup. Um, so you can find us at survivalhousing.net. And uh, if you have our initial consultation is always free. We're trying to reach out uh, and help folks since we're not at every location across the country. There's a lot of things right in the very beginning that you can make mistakes on. And we're trying to help folks avoid that. I'm working with a, uh, a group prepper broadcasting network uh, to bring in some of their consultants as well, because there's certain expertise uh, that we could all join forces with. Uh, James Walton's doing a, an excellent job. They have 15 uh, podcasts, 11 that are live every day, and you can get great uh, survival type information off them. So we're, we're combining forces because uh, I don't see any way out of this and I'm not a fear monger, but people are going to need to have, need a plan. And, uh, you really should be reaching out and looking to better your position. Absolutely. Cool, man. What's the, what's the website for, for either of them? Did you mention those? Uh, so it's prepperbroadcastingnetwork.com and then for survivalhousing.net. So if you if you wanted to get even just a free consult, then you can just fill out the con- contact form and we'll get back with you. And then there's also Fortitude Ranch and then dot com. Yep. So we work hand in hand. I'm COO of both of them. So at Fortitude Ranch, then you can reach out there for more information if you want to become a member. Uh, those who would be looking to want uh, you know a ranch built in a different area that we know don't have right now. Please understand it takes investors in order to crank open a new one. And so we're definitely looking to do that as well. The, the best part about Fortitude Ranch is the dog that licks rocks. Yes. Ringo. <laughs> Ringo. Ringo. I'm not, I'm not joking. No, he's, he's like, he grabs a big rock, makes sure you're looking at him, and then just puts his tongue on it and sits there. Yeah. It's the, it's the funniest thing. Mineralization. Oh, uh, yeah. Love they it. got into skunks about three days ago. Ay, ay, ay. I gotta, I gotta wash him. Oh, here. man. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, Chris Carr 17 on Twitter. Check out timcast.com, uh, anytime you like, but especially tomorrow because we've got a really nice report coming out from Michael Robison, our writer, um, a potential Supreme Court case that could have some major impacts on First Amendment rights. Ooh, wow. Michael Robison also with the monkeys oh, that yeah. watch oh, the show. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Michael and the monkeys. Yes. Uh, <laughs> those monkeys are awesome. I've got a picture of the monkey, like really keyed into what we were talking about on the, <laughs> on smart the show. monkeys, man. Smart, yeah. Love those monkeys. Uh, I'm Ian Crossland. Follow me at IanCrossland.net. Thank you guys so much for coming and I'll see you later. And before we go, I wanted to say that I do have to agree with Tim. This is not a cabal. The definition of a cabal is a secret political clique or faction. This is not a secret. So what's going on with the elites is definitely not a cabal. I'm Sarah Patchlitz. You can follow me on Twitter and at Minds.com. We will see all of you over at TimCast.com for that member segment. Thanks for hanging out.